Don't never stop if you wanna be on top, bitch. Low waist, fat ass, bitch, tap in. Tap, tap, tap in. Diamonds dancing on your neck, nigga, tap in. Tap, tap, tap in. Fuck it, nigga, get rich, bitch, tap in. Tap, tap, tap in. MLB, icy gang, nigga, tap in. Tap, tap, tap in. Wrist on glitter, waist on thinner. I'ma show you how to bag an eight figure nigga. Face on zaddy, pockets on jigger. You better get the car to make it swipe like tender. Private villa in the fire chip chiller. When he posts me, all the house gets. All right, guys, let's get started here on Saturday, December 9th, 2023. BK here yet again, coming at you guys from San Diego, California, about 10.38 a.m. Go ahead and follow me on uh, social media. Check out that Twitter, at Bravo Kilo Actual, as well as my Instagram, at BK Actual. And let me see, do I have any announcements? Nope, just the usual. Guys, just want to remind you of the uh, best of 2023. That, of course, will be the last podcast of the year. You're not going to want to miss that. And that should be, I don't know, I looked at a calendar the other day. I might push that to the very last day of the year, the 31st. I think the Saturday is the 30th. But I'm doing some traveling, and I'm not sure when exactly I'll be back. So I will keep you posted. Why don't we go ahead and get into it, though? Let's start on Indonesia. Did you see this volcanic eruption that killed all these hikers? Yeah, it's totally insane. Now, the updated death toll, they have now ended the search because it has left 23 people total dead. And Indonesia said they've accounted for everyone. And this was Mount Merapi on the island of Sumatra in Indonesia's west. And uh, the ash cloud was insane. The ash cloud is 3,000 meters tall. It actually happened last Sunday, but they were, you know, working to try to find as many people as they could all week. Um, there were about 75 hikers in the area, and they were able to rescue a lot of them. But sadly, yes, again, 23 people did uh, did die, and the uh, conditions were tough on the rescuers. They had further eruptions going on, as well as bad weather. They would have to halt rescue attempts to seek shelter now they're saying they believe every missing person has been located and evacuated dead or alive however there's always a possibility that some people might have gone off trail that does happen Uh, hikers exploring the area are supposed to register with local authorities via an online booking system and that's when they would pay a small fee and take designated entrances but that would seem to imply that they pretty much have the names of every single person there. But at the end of the day, you, you really don't know it. Uh, if you didn't know, India is the world's largest archipelago nation. You know, it's, it's made up of all those islands. And it is on that so-called ring of fire where the meeting of tectonic plates uh, catalyzes these earthquakes and volcanic eruptions. Now, Maripai or Marapi, I don't know how you pronounce it. It has erupted several times in recent years. And here's some Darwinism here. In that in an earlier eruption in January, Indonesia's uh, disaster agency said that climbers were still camping on the volcano despite warnings not to ascend. And they said that the eruption on Sunday that killed all these people came without the usual like precursors that a volcano will show, right? 
And that's why the agency cleared all those people on Saturday and Sunday, those 75 hikers. They said, yeah, you can go ahead because we haven't seen anything. And uh, there were some survivors speaking out. They said that climbers ahead of them yelled down that the volcano was erupting and you know rocks started crashing down. Some of those rocks are huge. And uh, some of them were able to seek shelter like beneath overhangs and stuff like that. And uh, just, just pretty wild, man. Previous volcanic activity have shuttered the, sh- the park for uh, months and even years, most recently back in 2019 and 2011. So I don't know, man. There's plenty of mountains out there that aren't volcanoes, guys. I'm just saying. Let's go to Russia. There was a shooting over there in a school. It's uh, notable because it's um, a 14-year-old girl. Let me back up here. I don't know if it's a school. It is a 14-year-old girl, but she shot and killed a schoolmate, and she did wound five other children before killing herself. Okay, it says she killed herself at a school in the western Russian city of Bransk. Damn. She brought a pump-action shotgun to school, and that's what she used to fire at her classmates. Now, guns are normally tightly controlled in Russia. I've covered a few of these mass shootings in Russia before. But um, Bryansk is one of several regions that have seen cross-border attacks in the course of the war with Ukraine. So Moscow kind of encouraged the formation of uh, self-defense units there. And there has been a few of these school shootings in recent years. And you guys kind of remember both of these. I talked about both of them, I know. Uh, In 2018, an 18-year-old student killed 20 people mostly fellow schoolmates in a mass shooting at a college in Russian-occupied Crimea. Remember, Moscow took that from Ukraine back in 2014. And then last year, in September of 2022, a gunman with a swastika on his T-shirt killed 15 people, including 11 kids, and wounded 24 at a school in Izhevsk, where he had once been a pupil, and then he offed himself. They're still looking for motive. Uh, was she bullied? Was this some kind of crazed incel chick or femcel, as they call them? Who knows? That's really all I have on it, though. But not every day, yeah, you see a uh, a, a, fem- a teenage girl try to kill a bunch of people. Very, very unusual. Let's go over to... Spain and Italy, guys. This is one of my favorite topics, and you longtime listeners will know this for sure. And it is counterfeit food. Fascinated with this. And 68,000 gallons of unfit, that's in quotes, olive oil have been seized by Italy and Spain. And they are charging 11 people with selling this adulterated oil that they say is not suitable for consumption at all. And this is what they're calling a food fraud operation. And it produced more than 260,000 liters or roughly 68,000 gallons of olive oil that was sold as high quality. So officers from the Spanish Civil Guard and the Italian police raided several locations last month in both countries, uh, including sites in the Italian regions of Sicily and Tuscany, and uncovered barrels of oil that contained lampante oil. That is the lowest grade of olive oil considered to be very terrible because of its high level of acidity and uh, unpleasant flavor and smell. 
And they seized 91,000 euros, which is about 98,000 US dollars. Uh, they have not named the 11 people or list specific charges. But if you guys have been listening, you know I've talked about this book many times. Go Google it, Real Food, Fake Food. It's by an American food writer. He has a whole chapter on olive oil, actually, and he talks about how they adulterate it because, you know, real olive oil, and if you guys have ever had, like, real fresh olive oil, remember, olive is a fruit, technically, so if you guys still have that canister of olive oil that's sitting above your stove that's been there for a year and a half, I promise you it is long gone rancid, and frankly, you should rarely be cooking with olive oil anyway. Uh, it's a low smoke point, and it's meant to be added to food mostly after the fact, right? Unless you're, you know, cooking like a very low temperature thing, like maybe a sauce or something like that. But I, I beg of you to get rid of your rancid can of olive oil that you've had collecting dust and grime for the last two years. Um, and, and you can tell, like if you have fresh olive oil, you can taste it immediately. So I don't know how these people are getting duped. I mean, if this is like the shittiest quality oil you can get, you'd think that once you open the lid and smelled it, tasted it, maybe there's just that many people who don't know what it's supposed to taste like. I would be surprised over in Europe. Here, I could definitely see that happening. Uh, but yeah, you know, these uh, there's a huge underworld of this fraudulent food selling business. And they've capitalized on this shit for years. It's not just olive oil. I've talked about cheese and, and coffee and wine. And the, there's a huge fraud market out there. And in 2013, European officials uh, started trying to crack down on this you know, fraudulent labeling with all these joint investigations. Um, these fake labels have at times created all kinds of crazy shit, including products uh, like meat that was labeled beef, but it turned out to be actually cheap horse meat. <laughs> but for years, olive oil has been one of the big ones. It's one of the most mislabeled food items on the continent. In 2019, olive oil became the product with the most requests for investigation, followed by fish and meat products. Yeah, again, fish, this dude had a whole chapter on that too. Fish is also bullshit, which is why I rarely eat it. Uh, let me see what else here. The faking of virgin olive oil, extra virgin olive oil, that's the highest grade you can get, EVOO. It's a common practice. The Olive Oil Times. I have a subscription to that. I'm just kidding. A publication that covers the olive oil industry reported that Italian officials prevented roughly 607,600 gallons of virgin and refined olive oils labeled as extra virgin from being sold last year. In other words, they were trying to pass it off as good olive oil when it was, in fact, crap. What else here? Uh, anything else? In, um, in Spain, in Ciudad Real, officials seized a dozen barrels of adulterated oil, meaning what they do is they take some extra virgin olive oil and then they mix it with the other garbage. In Sicily and Tuscany, three oil factories are believed to have been involved in the illegal operation. Uh, global demand for olive oil, of course, remains high. It's very good for you, but millions of consumers around the world pay extra and a lot of money. If you've seen you know, fresh and reliant olive oil prices, it ain't cheap. But a lot of times it will be adulterated with either inferior olive oil or cheaper oils like sunflower oil, canola oil. It can be colored with chlorophyll or beta carotene. But yeah. So in the U S it's not as bad, 
A peer-reviewed study by the Food and Drug Administration published in 2015 found a low rate of adulteration, less than 5% in 88 products sold in U.S. retail stores. That's probably true. The problem is that a lot of the olive oil, it should have an expiration date. Again, it's a fruit juice. You want to buy it as fresh as possible, right? So I prefer, if I'm going to buy olive oil and pay that much money for it, there's a local like fine foods market here and they've got the stuff on tap, you know, right from, it's not Italian. It's, it's grown here in, in California, but it's, it's very, very high quality. And I like the, I do that now. What else do I, I know this is a little bit of a, because before I get to the serious stuff, like some of this shit, I just can't take anymore. So I'm, I just chose to start with a lighter note. I mentioned cheese. Let's talk about cheese. A Scottish cheesemaker claims to have made the world's stinkiest cheese. Very good. This is a guy named Rory Stone, 59 years old. He's a cheesemaker at Highland Fine Cheeses in Scotland. He's been overrun with orders for a washed rind cheese called the Minger, which he is billing as the most putrid smelling cheese in the world. <laughs> He said in an interview, quote, everyone is still asking for samples and it just hasn't stopped, laddie, end quote. Uh, he says he's ran out of cheese. Uh, by the way, in Scotland, apparently minger is a slang for someone who is ugly or smells bad. Now, supermarkets initially rejected this cheese, dismissing it as a gimmick, but it's sold very well in independent shops. And it has won several awards, including Best Specialty Cheese at the Royal Highland Show in Edinburgh in 2019. So this week it made the news because a British supermarket chain, a big one called Asda, Asda, announced that they would stock the cheese in their stores for the first time. And now this will make it widely available. So uh, the their news release, this Asda British chain, it described the Minger as, quote, pungent, end quote, and it gave rise to, like, this kind of viral sensation, you know? And Stone all of a sudden is giving interviews to the BBC and Sky News and everybody else. Uh, so, yeah, and, and it made news also because this guy, Stone, obviously knows how to work the media by saying, I created the world's smelliest cheese. I mean, there's not really a scientific uh, test to it. Even Stone said that. He said, like, he, he said... Uh, he said, yeah, I think it was like a throwaway line because you can't prove something like that. But similar stinky cheeses have been really popular for, for many decades. And you can have, there's, there's actually various stinky cheese festivals. Other contenders, you guys might know some of these, for world's most pundant, pungent cheese uh, includes Limburger, which was Limburger cheese first made by Trappist monks in Belgium. Uh, another one is called Reblachon. That's in France. And in 2004, researchers at Cranfield University in Britain used what they described as an electronic nose to determine that the French cheese, the Ballon, was the smelliest. Fascinating. They ha it has a cabbagey aroma. <laughs> It doesn't sound very appetizing, but hey, I'd try it. I'll try any cheese. I will try any cheese. Absolutely. Let's keep going. Uh, quick update. Do you remember the trial in France I told you about last week about the teacher beheading? Not the actual guy who did it because he was killed by cops, but all the students who kind of like spread all this stuff. 
Last week, I told you they were on trial. Well, they have now been convicted in France for their role in the teachers killing that teacher, Samuel Paty. He was beheaded in 2020 by an Islamist extremist after showing characters of the Prophet Muhammad to his students to illustrate free speech. Five of the defendants, former middle school students at the school where he taught, were found guilty of helping the killer identify and track the teacher, although they were not believed to have known that he intended to kill. They were convicted on charges of being involved in a criminal conspiracy to prepare a violent assault. Four received suspended prison sentences of 14 to 20 months, so they're not getting any jail time. The fifth received a two-year prison sentence with 18 months of it suspended and six months to be served under house arrest with an electronic bracelet. Okay, well, nobody's going to jail then. What about the... Okay, that's five. Uh, Four received. Yeah, fifth. What about the sixth? Does it say? Of course, the guy who actually did it was that 18-year-old Chechnyan named Abdulak Anzarov. And he paid these five teenagers help in exchange for about $320 U.S., telling them that he wanted to confront him, the teacher, and force him to apologize. Well, he instead he cut his head off. Um, Anzarov was eventually shot and killed by the police. Shortly after the attack. Oh, here we go. The sixth defendant was 13 at the time, was found guilty of making false allegations. So she, they have her separate because they didn't charge her with the same criminal charge. She received an 18-month suspended prison sentence. They were tried behind closed doors by a criminal court for minors because they were not adults at the time of the attack. All right. Well, so nobody's going to jail. Dude's dead. Terrorist is dead. I'd uh, I wouldn't I'd be pretty bummed out if I was the family. Uh, staying in Paris, let's talk about this knife man attack. Yeah, you'll be shocked to know that the main suspect in an assault that left one tourist dead and two other people injured in Paris was known to French intelligence services for Islamist extremism and had pledged allegiance to the Islamic State before the attack. Yeah. This was last Saturday. This is a week ago. The suspect was identified as Armand Rajapur Miandoab. And he had apparently shown, quote, persistent radicalization, end quote. And he had a prior terrorism conviction. And he had been in contact online with jihadists responsible for terrorist attacks in France. Okay. <laughs> is he a citizen? Or, like, why wouldn't they get rid of this guy? Let me see here. Um, I'm just scrolling down here, you guys, because I'm trying to figure out if this dude was a native-born Frenchman or not. Yeah, because remember, this is a big deal because guess what's coming up in Paris in next year? The 2024 Summer Olympic Games in Paris. That is going to be a shit show. You guys know I was in Paris for a while. Holy shit. They're going to have the Olympics in Paris. I'm sure a lot of it will be on the outskirts, but still. Uh, needless to say, President Emmanuel Macron uh, needs to make sure that people feel safe in Paris and don't have to worry about rampaging Islamists cutting their throats. And he's trying to uh, reassure everybody. He said that tens of thousands of security forces will be deployed during the event. And the areas near the opening ceremony would be largely cordoned off. 
And you guys, of course, remember France's recent history with Islamist terrorist attacks, 2015, 2016. We had the Bataclan Theater Massacre, the Charlie Hebdo thing. Um, and then they had all those, you know, s- smaller shootings and stabbings, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, as a matter of fact, they have been on their highest terrorism alert since October when that other teacher was killed in northern France. According to the French government, they say that cops and intelligence services have thwarted over 40 attack plots since 2017. And they say the terrorist threat is particularly acute at the moment because of the war between Hamas and Israel. Plenty on them later. The man who was killed in Saturday's attack was a 23-year-old German tourist of Filipino origin. He was hit twice with a hammer and stabbed four times with a knife near the Eiffel Tower. God. And so the cops started chasing this guy, and then he slightly wounded two other people, a Frenchman and a British citizen with the hammer. Confronted by the police, he claimed he had an explosive belt. Well, the cops went ahead and tased him anyway, and it turned out that um, that was not the case. He did not have an explosive belt. Uh, here we go. Oh, here we go. In a video recorded before the attack, he, speaking in Arabic, pledged allegiance to the Islamic State. Very nice. He was born in 1997 to a non-religious family, but he converted to Islam in 2015 and quickly embraced jihadist ideology. <laughs> Well, where was he born? Hmm. They don't say. How do you not say that, New York Times? Really? Yeah, typical. Yeah, they don't want it. They don't want any implications being drawn here. That's for sure. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and since I just talked about Israel, Hamas, let's give you the latest, guys. Uh, as usual, to me, the more interesting stuff is happening away from the battlefield. However... Let us go ahead and give you quickly like live updates. First of all, the State Department has bypassed Congress to approve Israel's order for tank ammunition. That's right. They, the State Department, is pushing through a government sale to Israel of, of 13,000 rounds of tank ammo, bypassing a congressional review process that is generally required for arms sales to foreign nations. The State Department notified congressional committees at 11 p.m. on Friday. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Classic. That it was moving ahead with the sale. Valued at more than $106 million U.S. dollars, even though Congress had not finished in an informal review of a larger order from Israel for tank rounds. The department invoked an emergency provision in the Arms Export Control Act and... Now it's been put on an expedited track and Congress has no power to stop it. How is this fucking possible? Wow, they have that power? (sighs) Crazy. The Defense Department posted a notification of the sale before noon on Saturday. Today, it said Secretary of State Antony Blinken had informed Congress on Friday that an emergency exists that requires immediate sale. What, What emergency? This is the first time, a little bit more about that act they invoked. It's the first time the State Department has invoked that emergency provision for an arms shipment to the Middle East since May of 2019. 
That was when Secretary of State Mike Pompeo approved weapon sales to Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, a move that was widely criticized by lawmakers and by some officials inside the State Department. Oh, but that was under the evil orange man, right? I'm sure everybody's going to fall in line to this one. Plus, it's Saudi Arabia and this is Israel. Nobody's going to dare say anything. The State Department has also used this emergency provision several times since 2022 to get arms over to Ukraine. Those shipments, they kind of come right out and say it, those shipments were not considered contentious because at the time, U.S. lawmakers and ordinary American citizens overwhelmingly supported sending military aid to Ukraine. But, um, yeah, there have, as you guys know and as you've been following, there's been a lot of uh, hand-wringing over the way Israel is carrying out this offensive. And a lot of Democrats are not happy with this at all. According to Health Ministry in Gaza, again, take it with a grain of salt, Israeli airstrikes and ground operations have killed more than 15,000 Palestinians in Gaza, and they, the ministry, is claiming that 40% of those fatalities have been children. Wow. That would be like, what, 5,000-something? More than that, 5,500, 6,000? And, of course, this war started on October 7th when Hamas launched cross-border attacks in Israel, killing at least 1,200 people, most of them civilians. This is, uh, by the way, this sale is certain to infuriate Arab leaders who have sharply criticized the Biden administration's efforts to block international attempts, including at the UN, United Nations, to pressure Israel for an immediate long-term ceasefire. And speaking of that, the U.S.'s decision to veto a U.N. Security Council resolution that called for an immediate ceasefire in the war in Gaza has sparked frustration among Arab governments that are pushing to end the conflict. Wow. Yep. And um, this is not, and I'll have this in a moment, but they're all, now the Arabs are all pissed off at us. Well, guess who's over there fucking courting them like crazy? Of course, Vladimir Putin. I'll get to that in a second. But a group of foreign ministers from Arab and Muslim-majority countries who had met with Secretary of State Blinken on Friday expressed deep dissatisfaction with the inability of the Security Council to carry out their responsibilities. So this resolution to uh, call for the ceasefire, it was put forward by the United Arab Emirates, the UAE, and the, um, the U.S. vetoed this as senior U.N. leaders warned that without a halt in the fighting, it was nearly impossible to get sufficient aid to the more than 2 million Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. Uh, let me see here. The Saudi foreign minister... Prince Faisal bin Farin said on Friday in Washington that, quote, leverage has failed because it hasn't been applied, end quote. Let's see. Um, While officials in Bahrain and the Emirates have publicly condemned Hamas, other Arab governments have stopped short of that, condemning civilian casualties on both sides without naming Hamas as a perpetrator. Of course, that is because they are dealing with uh, a population that really doesn't mind what Hamas does, no matter how barbaric they are. So with their veto, the U.S. Is, the U.S. has essentially sided with Israel's claim that ending the war before Hamas is completely destroyed and removed from power would ensure that the conflict would erupt again. 13 of the council's 15 members voted in favor of the ceasefire measure, 
Uh, Britain abstained. You shouldn't be allowed to abstain. I've said it in U.S. politics for years. I think the same thing for many nations. Like, step up, put your fucking big boy pants on, and <clears throat> take a position. Anything else? I have another tab on this, but... Um, <clears throat> excuse me, guys. The veto comes amid a warning that civil order is breaking down over there. Well, you would think so. They don't have any... They don't have any food. As a matter of fact, there you, you guys might have seen this on social media. Some people are stoning aid convoys and, and raiding them and trying to break into places and get food and water and everything else. So, uh, not it's a, it's a bad situation. Fighting has been very intense in southern Gaza's largest city called Khan Yaunas and in northern Gaza. And... They're going at it pretty hard. I'm just going to anything else I want to talk about here as far as the the rest of it. Basically, yeah, it's just a complete shit show, and they're just murdering people like crazy. And all this went was laid out by me on the day after October 7th. I knew they were going to go medieval. I told you guys that. So, yep. What else? Um... Now, let's talk about some just uh, side stories here. Both Israel and Hamas have told of failed attempts to rescue hostages in Gaza. Interesting. Israeli troops conducted at least one targeted raid in the Gaza Strip on Friday in a failed attempt to rescue those hostages. Um, the now, now, the Hamas and the Israeli military are giving different accounts, of course. Hmm. Let me see here. According to the Israelis, they said two Israeli soldiers were seriously wounded in a rescue mission that did not recover any hostages. A chief spokesman for the military told reporters that the forces had raided a Hamas site and eliminated terrorists who had taken part in the abduction and captivity of hostages. In a statement, the Al-Qassam Brigades, that's the military wing of Hamas, described discovering an Israeli team trying to make its way undetected to free an Israeli soldier. In the resulting battle, the statement said, quote, many soldiers were wounded, end quote. The hostage was killed and an Israeli rifle and radio were recovered. Hmm. The Israelis referred to multiple hostages and did not identify any of them as troops. Neither side acknowledged suffering any casualties. Let's see here. Israeli forces have reported just one previously targeted raid to recover a hostage. That was in late October. That raid resulted in freeing one woman, a 19-year-old Israeli soldier named Ori Megadish. Uh, remember, Hamas and other groups kidnapped more than 240 people. More than 100 have been released. Some are believed to have di been, uh, died in captivity. Hamas contends that the people who died, the hostages, were killed in Israeli airstrikes. Okay, and uh, the other thing, big thing that was going around, the pictures of the Hamas fighters and or suspects being stripped to their underwear and tied up and masked and all that stuff. Yeah, so that that you know made everybody go ballistic, and you know, and the the people who sympathize in the Palestinian and the Hamas side. And the thing is, the, you know what? This drives me crazy because, like, this is fucking pretty standard. If you're dealing with a hostile enemy mixed among a civilian population, and you don't know who's who, we fucking did this all the time in Iraq, but we didn't have a bazillion cameras everywhere either. And the Israelis. Yeah, it's it basically the photos and video show the detainees tied up and they're stripped to their underwear, right? 
And this is um, areas in northern Gaza. It's been a lot of fighting going over there. And they're mil- they're all military-aged men. And they're trying to work out who's a terrorist and who's not. Uh, critics, of course, would say that mass detentions and humiliating treatment could violate the laws of war and that many people could not evacuate because of poor health, disability, or the expense of fleeing. Let me see. A former legal advisor to the U.S. State Department said on Friday that the treatment of the detainees seemed inconsistent with international law. Uh, let's see here. International law sets a very high bar for an occupying power to detain non-combatants, and he says that uh, that same guy requires that they be treated humanely. But, I mean, they're not, like, beating them. And, yeah, you can talk, what about the international law on, you know, invading another country and going and fucking sticking babies in ovens and cutting old people's throats? Any international outcry on that? Oh, I forgot. None of that happened. That's right. Being sarcastic, of course. Yeah, this was these were men in the city of Beit Lahia, B-E-I-T. I don't know how to pronounce any of these words, guys. I'm sorry if to my Jewish list. I'm sure I'm butchering all these names. It was in northern Gaza, though. And they're wearing only underwear. They're lined up by rows, and they're surrounded by soldiers. And there's also been detainees who were stripped and kneeling in a sand pit. Uh, so, uh, yeah, what are you, what are you going to do? Like, um, you know, and I saw a lot of American veterans were on Twitter, and they were telling stories about how, you know, they had surrendering uh, hostages. Or, I'm sorry, not hostages. You know, they're, in, like, you know, in battle, and they have people surrendering, and they don't know who's who, and they think some guy's just, like, a non-combatant, and then the guy blows himself up in that room. So you don't know. What, what are you supposed to do? This is like my argument, like, remember how I'm always telling you guys, like, when it comes to, like, American police, and everybody's like, why'd you have to shoot him? Why'd you have to shoot him? Why don't you just take him down to the ground? And I remember what I always say. I'm like, it always looks horrible if you have to take somebody down to the ground physically. Um, It's always going to look bad, 100% of the time, especially if it's, like, a big old white cop and it's a young say, black kid, right? It's always going to look horrible. And then the same people scream about that. It's kind of the same thing here. Like, you're in a no-win situation. You have all these military-aged males. The Hamas fighters are wearing civilian clothes. A lot of them. You don't know who's who. What, what are you supposed to do? You got. You have to fucking take... You got to defend yourself. So. Uh, and then more stories. That's just my opinion on it. More stories. The House... Uh, the House of Representatives has declared that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. This is a Republican written resolution. Uh, now, I, I'm I, I don't know about this one. And House Democrats were divided on this as well. Now, the vote passed by a vote of 311 to 14. It drew the support of all but one Republican. Oh, this is cowardly. 92 Democrats voted present, which is not taking a position for or against the measure. See? 95 actually did support it. They came out, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. You shouldn't be able to vote present. What is that? You don't want, you don't want to vote, put, put yourself on a stand, then, then don't go into politics. Stupid. Uh, let me see here. Uh, Gerald Nadler, Democrat of New York, Representative Nadler, he's a Democrat. He's the longest serving Jewish member of the House. He voted present. 
And he said, quote, under this resolution, those who love Israel deeply but criticize some of its policy approaches could be considered anti-Zionist. That would make every Democratic Jewish member of this body, because they all criticized the recent Israeli judicial reform package, uh, de facto anti-Semites, end quote. See, and, and he's right, I think. You know, what, what? you can't criticize Israel without being called an anti-Semite? But remember, Zionism, what is it? It's the movement to create a Jewish state in the land previously known as Palestine. And since Israel's founding, Zionism has been defined as the political ideology of supporting Israel's continued existence as a Jewish state. And um, let me see here. A Republican of Tennessee, Representative David Kustoff, he's the guy who wrote this. Uh, he rejected the suggestion that his measure was political, instead charging that Democrats have espoused anti-Jewish opinions. And this has been going on, if you guys have been listening, uh, between you know Democrats and Republicans and uh, all that. I mean, I'm a big free speech guy, right? So I can't I can't support a, a, something that's going to tell you know you're gonna you're gonna call me an anti-Semite because I'm like. I have questions about Israel, like keeping out non-Jews or something like. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I, I'm, I, I, you know, I, I believe Israel's our ally in the Middle East, but dude, they've done some fucked up shit. Let's call a spade a spade. You know they have, and I covered that pretty heavily in depth when the war kicked off. What they've done over there, some would say, well, we're defending ourselves. Okay, that's your opinion too, but you can't deny some of this shit has been fucked up. So if you criticize that, are you an anti-Semite? Um. Indeed, Representative Cori Bush, she's one of these people who's been coming under fire uh, lately. She made a little bit of a speech about this outside the house. Let's hear this. She's being asked basically about the... Uh, a lot of criticism at home for being perceived as anti-Semitic. What's your response to that, uh, that criticism? So, first of all, let me just say, I have condemned anti-Semitism 800 times over and over. And not just since October the 7th. But this is the thing. Um, as much as it is unacceptable and it is uh, intolerable, we also can't conflate the criticism of Israel, the Israeli government, with anti-Semitism. And we also have to stop with the words. It's this word. You said that word. You said this word. It, it hurt me. Well, how much hurt do people feel when the bombs hit them? Like, that's what I'm worried about. Yeah. This word hurt me. You used this word. Well, I, well, a word was used, but you are safe. A word was used and you uh, stand there. Okay, you get I, I agree with her on the one part about the Israeli government. But, I mean, I'm pretty sure Cori Bush has tossed around the phrase white supremacist and white supremacy quite a bit. So it's a bit, uh, a little bit of chutzpah. For her to say, oh, these are just words. Uh, what else? Israeli Hamas. Oh, I got a kick out of this. Did you see the White House interns <laughs> wrote a letter to Biden demanding a Middle East ceasefire? Do you believe the balls on these little fucks? You believe this? How are they not all fired immediately? How could you have... You guys imagine you guys went to college and did an internship for like, you know, finance degree or something like that. Accounting, you know, law. What? <laughs> you imagine? You're an intern. Hopefully you're paid. And you write a letter to the CEO and you're like t demanding shit of him. Unbelievable. They should all be fired quickly. 
It was uh, it was supported by more than forty interns. Did they sign their names to this? I doubt it. The interns wrote, quote, we, the undersigned fall 2023 White House and executive offices of the president interns will no longer remain silent on the ongoing genocide of the Palestinian people, end quote. Um, let me see here. Yeah, of course, the uh, they didn't have the balls to sign their names to it. Yeah, that's right. They, they did identify themselves by office, though, including the executive office of the president the Office of the Vice President, and the Domestic Policy Council, and they also uh, identified themselves as, quote, Palestinian, Jewish, Arab, Muslim, Christian, Black, Asian, Latin, White, and Queer, end quote. Latin. L-A-T-I-N-E. Are they trying that instead of the failed Latin X? You guys see, you guys notice how that's kind of gone, gone away after being ridiculed by many Latinos, including many of you, my listeners? Latin. That's definitely, I've not seen that in print before. Huh. Okay, and then finally, uh, the fun stuff, which was these, uh, the universities. Yeah, the university presidents fucking had to crawl up on Capitol Hill and give testimony, and uh, they didn't really give the greatest answers, so now a bunch of people are all fucking pissed off at them. It's too funny, dude. Uh, let's go, I'll play, the, I'll play you guys the videos in a moment. But yeah, Harvard, MIT, and the University of Pennsylvania on Thursday uh, went to talk about their response to anti-Semitism on campus. Well, I'm sorry, let me back up. They actually did this congressional testimony on Tuesday, right? And that, But then it released a whole shitstorm because they didn't like their answers very much. Now, I have to laugh, too. Because, you know, a lot of these, these, these three presidents are all like, well, we're a university. We have powerful exchanges and ideas. And a lot of people rightly pointed out, like, wait a minute, you can face discipline for purposely not using someone's pronouns. So it's a, it's a bit rich for them to claim, like, oh, we have to have free exchange of ideas when they would punish you for fucking everything. I mean, dude, think of the national freakout we had. When those white supremacist losers marched through Charlottesville chanting, you will not replace us with the tiki torches, right? That's free speech, right? That that was like, that's people are still freaked out to that to this day. But people screaming antifada, antifada, antifada. And, and I have more on that, too, because now there's a big dust up over, well, what did they mean by that? You know, the intifada, that just means a general revolt against oppression. It doesn't mean go kill Jews. And it's like, come on, dude. You know what they're saying. Anyway, back to the story here. Um, Penn, she, the, the chick, the president of Penn, Elizabeth McGill, apparently her answers were so crappy, she might be fired. She dodged the question of whether she would discipline students for calling for the genocide of Jews. And her answers and similar comments by Claudine Gay of Harvard, that's the president of Harvard, and Sally Kornbluth of MIT, Set off accusations that they were doing little to protect their own students. All three uh, women. Interesting. Uh, so I'm of too much. See, if I had my way, you guys, it, it would all be acceptable. You know, again, I'm a free speech guy. I don't think you should get kicked out of school for nonviolent uh, speech. 
but I'm sorry, nonviolent activities, right? Because speech, every time somebody says, well, words are violence, I want to punch them in the throat and be like, no, that's violence. Words cannot hurt you. Words should never be called violence. I have a perfect example of that later. Uh, so, but that ship has sailed, right? I'm not, if I had my way, it would be a free for all and it would be a real exchange of ideas. And you couldn't, as long as you were not physical, you could say or do whatever you want, but we're, we don't live in that time anymore. So as I told you a couple weeks ago, I'm not going to be the only one playing the game of dying on the hill while everybody else is running away. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to be able to play the game when everybody else is taking their ball and going home. I'm not going to do it. So if you want to play it that way, fine, I'll play it your way too. Uh, anyway, so uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, the Democrat of New York senator, she said all three presidents should step down. Wow. Woo. And the funny thing is, where did they learn this? All these people screaming like intifada, intifada. Uh, but yes, let me see here. Here's a Here's one. Here's one uh, exchange. I don't have all of this on video, but so I'm going to read some of it. But here was one talking about just that. Representative Elise Stefanik, Republican of New York, asked Ms. Gay from Harvard on whether the university condoned, condoned chance of intifada on its campus. And she, uh, she was saying, hey, um, first of all, she said, Dr. Gay, a Harvard student calling for the mass murder of African-Americans is not protected free speech at Harvard, correct? And she starts filibustering. Stefanik says, it's a yes or no question. Is that correct? Gay says, filibusters more. And then Stefanik says, hey, I, I assume you're familiar with the term intifada, correct? And she's like, I have heard that term, yes. And Stefanik uh, says basically that intifada is a call for violent armed resistance against the state of Israel. That's what some liberals are debating, if it does mean that. And Gay says that type of hateful speech is personally abhorrent of me. And so she says, she just keeps saying, like, filibustering. She's like, well, are you going to condemn it? Is it contrary to Harvard's code of conduct? And she's like, yeah, it's at odds with the values of Harvard. <laughs> and then she's like, can you not say it's against the code of conduct? And then she's like, we embrace a commitment to free expression, even if it, even if views that are objectionable, offensive, and hateful, which is a lie. Because, again, they would kick you out of that fucking school in a minute if you used any kind of racial slur or anything else. Uh, let me play a clip from i think this is part oh yeah this is actually part of what i just read so um very good let's uh hear this uh exchange here let me ask here you go. this you are president of harvard so i assume you're familiar with the term intifada correct? yeah here we go i've heard that term yes and you understand that the use of the term intifada in the context of the israeli-arab conflict is indeed a call for violent armed resistance against the state of israel including violence against civilians and the genocide of jews are you aware of that that type of hateful speech is personally abhorrent to me. And there have been multiple marches at Harvard with students chanting, quote, there is only one solution, Intifada revolution, and, quote, globalize the Intifada. Is that correct? I've heard that thoughtless, reckless, and hateful language on our campus, yes. So based upon your testimony, you understand that this call for intifada is to commit genocide against the Jewish people in Israel and globally, correct? I will say again, that type of hateful speech is personally abhorrent to me. Do you believe that type of hateful speech 
is contrary to Harvard's code of conduct or is it allowed at Harvard? It is at odds with the values of Harvard. Can you but not say here that it is also... against the code of conduct at Harvard? Uh... We embrace a commitment to free expression, even <laughs> of views that are objectionable, offensive, hateful. It's when that speech crosses into conduct that violates our policies against bullying, harassment, Does that speech not cross that barrier? Does that speech not call for the genocide of Jews and the elimination of Israel? When you testify that you understand that is the def definition of intifada. Is that speech according to the code of conduct or not? We embrace a commitment to free expression <laughs> and give a wide berth to free expression, even of views that are objectionable. That's bullshit. You and I both know that's not the case. You were aware that Harvard ranked dead last when it came to free speech. Are you not aware of that report? Okay. Yeah, giving it to her. That's hilarious. Uh, and now she has apologized. Gay has, the Harvard president. That's funny. She's she had to uh, do an interview with the Harvard Crimson, the campus newspaper, and uh, she's trying to basically back off what she said. And now she's uh, saying, "Oh no no no, I'm uh, I got caught up in the moment. I should." And, and this is a weird thing to say. She said the following in the interview. Um, she said uh, she sh quote should have had the presence of mind. To return to my guiding truth, which is that calls for violence against our Jewish community, threats to our Jewish students have no place at Harvard and will never go unchallenged, end quote. So, um, yeah, they're, they're not too happy with it. Now, as far as the pen chick, yeah, one contributor moved to rescind a gift worth roughly $100 million. So now pen trustees are uh, scheduled to meet about this. Again, I'll ask, what, why would you give a very wealthy college $100 million? Think of all the poor people that could use that money. What a dick. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, Senator Elizabeth Warren, she, was, uh, she went on, what is this, CNBC? I think it's, yes, it is CNBC. And they were asking her about this. Let's listen to this clip. Burning colleges, Senator, that allowed them to think that if it's levied, uh, leveled at, at uh, Jewish people, it's okay. The same it's people not... that were marching with Black Lives Matter are now the ones, or some of them, uh, that, that would, you know, go to the mat and, and be out every day marching for that, are some of the people now saying genocide to the Jews. Where did the, how did that happen on liberal college campuses? Calling for genocide is wrong. Leaders no, should no, make you keep that... saying that. I, well, I understand that, but how did... I mean, it came from somewhere. You don't, you don't think the progressive and, left has any culpability in, in, in driving us to this point right now, Senator? I, th I think that what has happened is that people feel the pain of the Middle East, and they feel it on both sides very personally. <laughs> okay, so she doesn't answer. I don't know. I could see if you're Jewish or, you know, of Arab descent, but... I see like a lot of white Americans at this and that makes no sense to me. I'm like, really? Like, why are you so passionate about this? This has nothing to do with you. I mean, I get having like an underlying, you know, peace or something like that, but uh, call a, a, a want for peaceful things. But the, the, the ferocity in which like some of these like 18, 19 year old, 20 year old white girls 
are doing this. It just blows my mind. Uh, so let's get back to Penn President Liz McGill. So after she was basically crucified in the media, she made this like hostage video, which is hilarious because you can see her eyeballs like following a written script. It's the most insincere video I've ever seen. Uh, Penn at P-E-N-N on Twitter po posted this on their Twitter account. Uh, they turned the comments off, which just goes to show you that they didn't want any part of this. But let's listen a little bit from McGill here. There was a moment during yesterday's congressional hearing on anti-Semitism when I was asked if a call for the genocide of Jewish people on our campus would violate our policies. In that moment, I was <laughs> focused on our university's longstanding policies aligned with the U.S. Constitution, which say that speech alone is not punishable. But it is, though. I was not focused on, but I should have been. The irrefutable fact that a call for genocide of Jewish people is a call for some of the most terrible violence human beings can perpetrate. It's evil, plain and simple. Uh, I'll just stop it there. You get the idea. But she, but, but the, now that would have been an admirable stance to take that speech is permitted, right? That would be an admiral's fan state if we didn't have dozens and dozens and dozens of examples of the opposite, where you could get kicked out of school for being a racist. People have had uh, admissions prospects pulled. Like, they were admitted to a college, and then they got pulled because they were found out to say some questionable things when they were young. So that, that's all just bullshit. So stop trying to paint yourself as this bastion of free speech when you haven't been for many decades and everybody knows it. Uh, now, we have to talk about the sexual violence because this has been a big controversy. You know, the Palestinian Hamas supporters were all like, Oh, this is all mythology. None of this ever happened. Well, there has been now, there has been testimony given in front of the UN and they tried to actually testify to the actual sexual violence. A volunteer, for example, who helped collect the remains of victims after the October 7th assault spoke those words, these words on Friday at an event at the United Nations. Um, his name is Simcha Grindman, and he said that the body of one woman had nails and different objects in her female organs. In another person's house, a person's genitals were so mutilated that, quote, we couldn't identify if it was a man or a woman, end quote. And he went on to say, because he was he's a member, um, uh, this is another person, I'm sorry, I believe this is a female, Sherry Mendez, a member of an Israeli military reserve unit tasked with preparing the bodies of fallen female soldiers, said her team, yeah, female, saw several who were killed on October 7th, quote, who were shot in the crotch, intimate parts, vagina, or who were shot in the breast, end quote and others had mutilated faces or multiple gunshots to their heads. So Israeli officials have been accusing the terrorists of doing this, uh, including the, not only the sexual mutilation, but rape along with it. But this had not been mentioned until a few days ago or condemned by UN women. That's the United Nations Women Rights Agency, which, by the way, has regularly spoken out about the plight of Palestinian women and girls. And so the Israelis are saying, Wait, what about, what about these atrocities that happened? And if you ask a lot of these activists, none of it ever happened. They, they, uh, they say it didn't happen. 
This was kind. Of, this meeting was organized at the UN by uh, Sheryl Sandberg. You might remember her as the former Facebook or Meta executive. And Hamas has denied that their fighters com committed these sex crimes, but evidence has been collected, like bodies of women found partially or fully nude, women with their pelvic bones broken. Um, a video made public last month, a first-hand witness who said she watched Hamas terrorists take turns raping a young woman, mutilated her. I believe that's the woman that she said cut a breast off of her and then shot her in the head. And... The head of International Crimes Investigations Unit of the Israeli police, he said in an interview that they had documented, quote, violent rape incidents, the most extreme sexual abuses we have seen, end quote, and that he is, quote, talking about dozens, end quote. Yeah, and a lot of eyewitnesses did not survive. And they went on to say, yeah, shooting was targeted at sexual organs. We saw that a lot. Hmm. Yeah, there was a lot of protesters there. So, so um, yeah, this is this is great. More about that UN Women Group, an Israeli law professor named Dr. Kochav Levy. She sent a letter to UN Women signed by dozens of scholars calling for an quote urgent and unequivocal condemnation of the massacre committed by Hamas end quote, including the use of rape as a tool of war. She said quote they didn't even respond end quote. Wow. The Israeli ambassador also said, sent letters to the director of UN Women, and he said he got no response at all. Not even, hey, we got your letter. Not even that. An ambassador. <laughs> so there's a lot of people who hate the Jews, man. Uh, and uh, let me, I'm trying to get through this as quickly as possible. There was also the conspiracy theory that. Um, the hostages in Gaza actually wanted to be there because when they were released, you probably saw some of them kind of smiling and, and shaking hands. I mean, dude, they're nervous. There's guns pointed at them. What do you expect to react? You don't know how they're going to react. But here's like some dopey TikToker talking about it. But this is what your kids are listening to, you guys. Listen to this shit. Age group. Hostages are leaving Gaza with goodbyes, good luck, and thank you. The videos and the pictures of the hostages leaving from Gaza are... A joke. I never seen something like that before. I never seen a hostage high-fiving the kidnapper. I never seen a hostage who was kidnapped with her dog and she is leaving her and her dog. I never seen a hostage saying thank you to the kidnapper. I never seen a hostage saying good luck to the kidnapper. Like good luck for what? For doing stuff against you? This is beyond, beyond insane. That's what has been happening the past few days. The H group is going to be the reason Netanyahu is going to get a heart attack soon. This is insane. On the Israeli side, people are complaining about showing the pictures of the hostages and the videos of them um, engaging with the H group on TV. They don't want that to be shown. Also, Netanyahu tried to go and visit one of the hostages, and they refused. Also, okay, I'll just stop it there because I don't know what's true or not. But basically, this person ends this video by saying, oh, it sounds awesome to be a hostage there. Uh, then State Department spokesman Matthew Miller, um, why he was asked like why the original ceasefire fell apart. So let's listen to the part of this. The atrocities that Hamas uh, 
carried out on October 7th and the atrocities that they have carried uh, out since, the fact that they continue to hold women hostages, the fact that they continue to hold children hostages, the fact that it seems one of the reasons they don't want to turn women over that they've been holding hostage and the reason this pause fell apart is they don't want those women to be able to talk about what happened to them during their time in custody. Um, certainly. All right. So you heard him there. And then finally, uh, to finish this up, I thought this was pretty funny because the White House had to disavow. <laughs> they had to disavow the Council on American Islamic Relations, known as CARE. They've been around a long time. You guys have seen all their propaganda videos. They were always suspect. Well, the White House had to fucking talk shit about them because a video came out about the group's director, I'll play it in a second, declaring that, quote, he was happy to see, end quote, Palestinians break out of Gaza on October 7th. A spokesman for President Biden, not Biden himself, of course, he's uh, fucking face down in his pudding cup, condemned the remarks by Nihad Awad, the National Executive Director of the Council of American Islamic Relations. And Biden spokesman Andrew Bates said, quote, we condemn these shocking anti-Semitic statements in the strongest terms, end quote. Um, yeah, and, and CARE often, you know, goes in the White House to push their shit all the time. Uh, Awad himself is a Palestinian-American, and his group has been accused of past sympathy for Hamas, which, remember, is designated a terrorist organization by the United States and the European Union. He said back in 1994 that he was, quote, in support of the Hamas movement, end quote. But he said in 2006 that, quote, I don't support Hamas today, end quote. So these remarks were made two weeks ago, but were given wide circulation on Thursday morning by the Middle East Media Research Institute, or MEMORY. And let us go ahead and play this clip. He is speaking English. Um, so let's listen to what he says here. The people of Gaza only decided to break the siege, the walls of the concentration camp on October 7th. And yes, I was happy to see people breaking the siege and throwing down the shackles of their own land and walk free into their lands that they were not allowed to walk in. And yes, the people of Gaza have the right to self-defense, have the right to defend themselves. And yes, Israel as an occupying power does not have that right to self-defense. Mm. Gaza became the liberation source, the inspiration for people. Gaza transformed many minds around the world, including people who are not Muslim. What kind of faith? these people have they are thankful okay i'll stop it there because most of the bad stuff he already said you basically heard him he's like well we have the right to self-defense and a lot of people do believe that they believe self-defense means that you can go into israel do a raid and kill women and children unarmed women and children all right is that all i have okay that's all i have let's go on there's your update um I mentioned Putin earlier and how he visited the Middle East. Rare trip. But he uh, went on Wednesday to the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia. See him high-fiving each other. 
The Emirati president, Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed al-Nayan, called Putin his, quote, dear friend, end quote. And after Putin arrived in Saudi Arabia, the kingdom's crown prince, our friend Mohammed bin Salman, called him a, quote, very dear guest for the kingdom, end quote. Yeah, and meanwhile, we're pissing off the Arabs. Isn't this great? <laughs> yeah, they gave him the full fucking red carpet treatment, man. When he arrived in Dubai, he got uh, his limo drove down the gr- through the grounds of a palace flanked by camels and Arabian horses, jets. Did you see the jets flying? They released the smoke the, of the Russian flag, the red, white, and blue. And he was welcomed with a 21-gun salute. So, yeah, they're going to uh, probably raise the, ga- raise the price of your oil very soon here. And also, speaking of Putin, he is going to seek re-election as president. I think I told you this the other week. Long-expected announcement. And this is after the Constitution was amended in 2020, their Constitution, effectively allowing the Russian president to stay in power until 2036. This would be him seeking his fifth term. And if he wins... This win would extend his rule to 2030, and if he makes it to 2030, that would make him Russia's longest-serving leader since Catherine the Great in the late 18th century. They're uh, six-year terms, of course. So, um, anything else here? Yeah, they were... When did they announce this? Yeah, he actually declared his intentions not at a podium, but in a conversation with soldiers that was recorded on camera, probably, you know, on, on purpose, but they, you know, the, the Kremlin of course says, no, no, he was just talking here. So a Ukrainian born Russian military officer and official from Donetsk, a Russian occupied city in Eastern Ukraine approached Putin and expressed gratitude that its residents now had the opportunity to vote for the first time in Russian presidential elections. And they wanted to cast their votes for Mr. Putin. And Mr. Putin responded, quote, I won't hide it. I had different thoughts at different times. But now you are right. The time is such when decision needs to be made. I will run for president of Russia, end quote. He is 71 years old. He has led Russia as either president or prime minister since New Year's Eve in 1999. Huh. And he will almost certainly be reelected. Okay, uh, and then speaking of Russia, for the United States has charged four Russian soldiers with war crimes against an American. Yeah, this is the Justice Department said this on Wednesday, and they are charging these Russian soldiers with torturing an American living in the war-ravaged region of Kherson in Ukraine. They're using a war crime statute for the very first time since it was enacted nearly three decades ago. Yeah, uh, and for the first time, Attorney General Merrick Garland in this same press conference said that his department had begun a formal investigation of the murder of more than 30 Americans by Hamas fighters during the October 7th Israeli attacks. All four of the people the Russians charged now live in Russia. Um, They're probably not going to travel abroad anytime soon because one of our allies might swoop them up and then they'll be extradited here. But this is a big effort by the Justice Department and the FBI to hold Russian military accountable. 
The American Ukraine case, he's not identified. But prosecutors said he was abducted in April of 2022 from his home in a village in southern Ukraine, despite telling Russian forces moving in the area that he was not a combatant and he'd been living in the country with his wife since 2021. During his roughly 10 days in captivity, soldiers of the Russian armed forces and other paramilitaries beat him brutally with their fists and the butts of their guns and threatened to sexually assault him. Oh, and they staged a mock execution. That's scary. Yeah, they actually shot around just inches from his head as he knelt on the ground. They identified two of the Russians as Surin Serenovich Merkatan and Dmitry Budnik. And then they had two other guys only with one name. They stripped him nude, photographed him, all this shit. He was eventually released and evacuated back to the U.S., so... Okay, well, good. And anything else on this? Okay, let's keep going around the world. I spent a lot more time on that than I really wanted to. I apologize for that. Uh, Let's go, first of all, uh, Notre Dame. Uh, Let's go back to France really quick. Notre Dame is uh, expected to uh, reopen on schedule. Yeah, the Notre Dame Cathedral, you guys all remember it burned to the ground. Well, it didn't burn to the ground, but it was pretty bad. Um, And... It is 860 years old, and actually President Macron of France did go check it out this week. And he took a three-minute elevator ride to visit the new spire that is nearing completion. Of course, Notre Dame was ravaged by that fire in April of 2019, and his visit came one year to the day before Notre Dame is scheduled to reopen on December 8th, 2024. Wow. That's going to be a freaking party over there, dude. And... Macron, remember, he was uh, the the fire was still going, and he says we are going to rebuild this within five years. So if that if that happens, that will be a that will be a big uh, feather in his cap. Okay, very good. Uh, I told you guys when I was there, they actually had a big exhibit where you could see exactly how they were piecing together, trying to save as much as they could. It was it was super fascinating. Way too long to get into uh, now, but um, very very cool. What else? Uh, I mentioned, okay, I'll have to get back to that in a moment. Um, I, I, well, let me just do it now. I I didn't want to, it's not really Russia, Ukraine, but I just want to say Republicans have blocked that aid to Ukraine, which is like a huge deal now. Yeah. They blocked an emergency spending bill to fund the war in Ukraine because they want those strict new border restrictions, right? And this is is uh, you know waning support in the U.S. Because as I said like a year ago, it's like how long is this going to go on and how much money are we going to put into it? And the answer they always seem to come back with is, and this has now become de facto gospel on the left, is that we have to keep funding Ukraine because if we don't, then we're going to go to war with Russia. They And they just say this for without evidence because they all keep saying that Putin, if he takes Ukraine, the next he'll take NATO. Well, we don't know that. You're just saying that. Is it possible? Sure. Do you really think he would do that? It's one thing to fight Ukraine with our weapons. It's another thing to fight us and every other NATO country. Um, so it not only failed in the House, but it failed in the Senate because the vote to move forward on the bill was 49 to 51. It needed 60 votes to pass. This is a $111 billion bill. It would provide about $50 billion in security assistance to Ukraine. 
Another $14 billion towards arming Israel in its war against Hamas. Uh, more money for economic and human, humanitarian aid to both. And Biden said he was prepared to offer significant compromises on the border and scolded them for abandoning Ukraine. Um, so this means that Ukraine is exceedingly unlikely to be able to secure the additional American aid before the end of the year and possibly beyond. Uh, let's see. Pentagon officials have cast some doubt on claims by the White House that Kiev is about to run out of American money. Uh, yeah, as, and as a matter of fact, one of my listeners told me the same thing. Um, they said they have money left. They just haven't sent it over that, and it's like almost $5 billion. But yeah, the people want border fucking... The Republican constituents, they see all this shit at the border, and I'll have more on that in a moment, and they're like, what do we do? What about our border? Forget Ukraine's border. I mean, you know, I hope Ukraine can push back Russia. It probably won't happen, but I more care way more about the United States border. So the usual. Oh, here's I had to play this clip. Here's John Kirby saying what I told you. This is the this is the leftist line here. And so we can't support Ukraine. Their chief advisor yesterday said they're likely to lose this war if they lose U.S. support. And Putin gets all of Ukraine, then what? Then where does he go? Because right then, Maybe no. he's up against the eastern flank of NATO. And if you think the cost of supporting Ukraine is high now, just imagine how much higher it's going to be, not just in national treasure, but in American blood, if he starts going after one of our NATO allies. Because as the president if. also said, we take our Article 5 commitments if. very seriously. John, anybody going to say that? Like, that's if. Why would he do that? I don't know. So the Ukraine Ukrainians are still carrying on the fight. I mean, it's in my opinion, the whole thing's doomed. I mean, they're they're run, they got to be running out of people. Uh, so yeah, and Biden for some reason he wanted to tie all this Ukraine aid to border to our border security. They should be two separate, complete fucking bills. I don't even know why he did this. It's stupid. So let's move on though, and go down to um. Let's go down to South America. What is going on here? I kind of saw the story floating around. I don't understand it. Basically, Nic uh, Venezuela's president, Nicolas Maduro, he uh, wants to, uh, for some reason, seize a smaller neighboring country, right? This is the Esequibo region of Guyana, a country of about 800,000, right? Now, this region, Essequibo region, is very rich in oil, and Maduro is now claiming that this region is part of Venezuela. Okay, you guys got that? And, by the way, Venezuela is a country of about 28 million people. So, he held a referendum, and more than 95% of voters suspend, supported the claim that it is part of Venezuela. Of course, this is a referendum organized by the government, right? And this goes back to in some illegitimate agreement dating the 19th century that gave the Essequibo region to Guyana. Most countries have accepted that Essequibo belongs to Guyana, Guyana, but um, for some reason he's fucking started going into it. Like this is like now a geopolitical crisis there. And by the way, he's coming up for elections, or he, he's supposed to hold elections. Now, if he doesn't hold elections, his country could face crippling sanctions because the United States has been pressuring him for a while to hold free and fair elections 
or he gets reinstatement of those economic sanctions. So he's supposedly going to do it. Uh, the elections are supposed to be held next year. And he is still favored to win. But it's just a strange story. It's like almost like he's doing this to take the you know, pressure off of the United, the United States about these election thing. I don't know. Uh, this is a region slight, by the way, Essequibo is a region slightly larger than the United States state of Georgia. It's a tropical jungle, has a shitload of oil. It's got minerals, timber, everything else. Uh, there's a big illegal mining industry there. And Guyana has increased its police presence along the Venezuelan border. Brazil has sent their troops to the region. So far, Venezuela has not deployed any additional forces to the border. Hmm. But now that this referendum has passed, they think this could give Maduro the green light to uh, fucking go in and uh, seize this thing. So we'll we'll keep an eye on that one. Nothing's really happening right now. All right. Let's talk about U.S. military. You got a couple stories. First of all, the U.S. has grounded hundreds of Osprey aircraft after that fatal crash off of Japan. The Air Force, Navy, and Marine Corps said that a problem with the aircraft may have caused that crash last week. Which did kill eight airmen. They, uh, the body recoveries as far as that, they, they've got almost everybody, but like I think one or two. But yeah, the Air Force, Navy, and Marine Corps are all grounding their fleets of Ospreys. In a statement, the Air Force cited, quote, a potential material failure, failure, end quote. But they also said the underlying cause of the failure is unclear. This grounding affects nearly 500 military aircraft. The Air Force has 54 Ospreys, the Navy has 48, and the Marine Corps has 360. Japan's defense minister called on the U.S. last week to stop flying the Osprey in the country until the aircraft was judged safe. Japan has their own Ospreys. They have 14. They have grounded their Ospreys. And the U.S. had continued to fly the aircraft in Japan since the crash on November 29th. Yeah, you guys know Osprey has, you know, a troubled safety history. There was a, another Osprey crash just a couple months ago in Australia. You guys remember that? That killed those three U.S. Marines, and more than 60 deaths have been linked to Osprey accidents since the Marines began using the craft in the early 1990s. Nine, last year, nine Marines were killed in two crashes. Uh, one, uh, And then in June... Yeah, one uh, one of those of those two crashes, one was in June out here near Glamis, California, that killed five, and another crashed uh, that one in Norway, and that killed all four. So, sad shit. Yeah, those things, man. People uh, make your peace with God before you get on one of those. And meanwhile, the U.S. Navy has shot down three drones in the Red Sea. This was during a sustained attack last Sunday. A Pentagon official said the USS Kearney shot down the drones as several commercial ships nearby came under fire as part of an attack that began at 9.15 a.m. and lasted for several hours on Sunday. And they did intercept three drones, including one that was headed in the direction of the Kearney. The ship was not damaged. There were no injuries aboard the destroyer. CENTCOM's U.S. Central Command said the attacks originated from areas in Yemen that are controlled by the Iranian-backed Houthi militia. <clears throat> you guys know since the October 7th attack in Israel, the Houthis in Yemen have launched a series of attacks, including with drones and missiles, on Israeli and American targets in the Red Sea. 
A Houthi military spokesman said in a statement that the militia had targeted two Israeli ships in the area, but did not mention the American naval vessel. Um, The group fired a missile at one ship and targeted a second with a drone. And they want the Israelis to stop their aggression in Gaza. By the way, that same ship, the Kearney, in October, they shot down three cruise missiles and several drones launched from Yemen that they think were headed towards Israel. So that was the little dust up over there. All right. A lot going on. What else? Let's keep going. And, um, God, I have so much to do. I got to get to some domestic stuff, though. Uh, First of all, a couple shootings. A gunman killed three UNLV faculty members. Yeah, this guy was a total nut. Older guy. He apparently wanted a college job. Yes, his name is Anthony Polito, the gunman, 67 years old. He was living in a Las Vegas suburb. Suburb. He himself was a professor who had tried and failed to get several jobs at colleges in the state. He was shot and killed by the cops, by the way, after the rampage. Um, he also, by the way, he injured a fourth person who also... That fourth person is a 38-year-old visiting professor, and he does have life-threatening wounds. Um, Polito, before the shooting, had mailed 22 letters to employees at universities across the country, at least one of which contained an unknown white powder that was later determined to be harmless. The contents of the additional letters were not clear. He used a 9mm handgun. He brought 11 magazines with him. He only emptied two of them by the time he was killed. What a fucking douche. One person killed was Patricia Velez, 39, an assistant professor of accounting, and Cha Jan Chang, 64, was a professor of management information systems. And the identity of the third faculty member who was killed was being withheld. He taught at the business school, did Polito, at East Carolina University in North Carolina for nearly 16 years until 2017. He actually made a list of the people he was seeking on the campus. He apparently was in some kind of financial trouble. Officers found a note of eviction on his front door when they arrived on his at his apartment. They arrived within 78 seconds of the initial call. Did a UNLV cop. Pretty good. All right. Rest in piss. Uh, then there was another shooting over in Austin. A former U.S. Army officer named Shane James, 34, he was arrested. He was taken alive. He killed his parents in the family's San Antonio area home, and then he traveled 80 miles to Austin where he fatally shot four more people on Tuesday. Uh, The first shooting occurred in Austin when an Austin school district officer was shot and wounded. And um, the second shooting, a man and a woman were killed. And the third, a cyclist was shot and wounded. And the rampage went into Tuesday evening with a shootout with the police and discovery of two more bodies. Uh, he, they responded to reports of a burglary. They found James. He opened fire. He wounded one cop before fleeing in a car and crashed during the chase. And as that chase unfolded, they walked into that house and found the bodies of the two other people. And after they arrested him, they called the authorities in San Antonio to asked them to go into his house, and that's where they found his parents, Shane James Sr. and Phyllis James, and uh, they were killed. So, Now, an interesting sidebar to that is that a 
Texas Progressive Group had previously bailed James out of jail. Yeah, he had been previously charged with assaulting a family member. And that was in January of 2022 against his mother, father, and sister, the aggravated assault. And he was bailed out by something called Texas Organizing Project, a nonprofit focused on progressive issues that helped elect Bear, not Bexar County, as you guys have told me many times, District Attorney Joe Gonzalez. And that's the big uh, woke uh, lib who runs that place now. So he had, uh, so thank you very much. I, I hope that uh, some reporters ask, you know, to find out and go talk to Texas Organizing Project and ask how they feel about uh, bailing out a guy who went on to murder his whole family. I hope you guys ask about that. And then there was the homeless guy, the homeless serial killer out here in LA. Did you guys see this shit? Yeah, and this is this has got a wrinkle in it as well. Jared Powell, 33 years old, was charged Monday with the serial murders of three homeless men around Los Angeles and the follow-home robbery and murder of an L.A. County employee in San Dimas. So he murdered four people. Well, a couple months ago, he was the recipient of a $700,000 personal injury payment by the Santa Monica, um, the city of Santa Monica. He sued following a 2019 accident in which he said he was injured after being run over by a city patrol vehicle on the beach. Yeah, he was laying on... It was one of those things where he was laying on the beach and it almost sounds like he did this on purpose. They settled... The city settled a lawsuit claiming negligence after a cop was responding to a call reporting a fire on the beach, and he rolled over Jared Powell, who was laying in a six to eight inch deep ditch in the sand. See what I'm saying? Like, why would you do that? Why would you be laying in a ditch? And did, did maybe he's the one who called in the fire? Uh, but yeah, they do think um, he's the guy who fucking killed all the the homeless people in the city employee. So. Okay, is that all the shootings I have? Yes, great. All right, what else here? Um, oh, this one, a uh, couple deaths. Norman Lear has died at the age of 101 years old. Of course, an often Oscar-nominated comedy writer and producer. He was the um, head of the show All in the Family, Sanford and Son. His career spanned more than six decades. He received a Humanities Award and National Medal of Arts in 1999, he was basically a television legend. A lot of TV. Uh, I mean, there there probably wasn't a sitcom produced in like the 80s, 90s, and 2000s that was not influenced by this guy in some way, shape, or form. Uh, he was also uh, involved in Good Times, uh, The Jeffersons, uh, shit like that. And among his many milestones was creating the first African-American nuclear family regularly appearing on television. That would be the Evans family on Good Times beginning in 1974. And in his shows, he would often talk about, like, war. You know, the Vietnam was going on. He'd talk about race, sexuality, inequality, politics, shit like that. At one point in the 1970s, he had eight shows on the air with an estimated 120 million viewers. That's completely insane. A good show now is lucky to get a million. And then I wanted to point out that you guys have probably heard of Norman Lear. You probably haven't heard of this guy, but I figured, you know, every once in a while, a great um, American passes away, and I feel they should probably uh, be recognized somehow. 
if my page wants to open here, let's unbelievable you guys every fucking week. And that would be William P. Murphy. He was a doctor and uh, he was a biomedical engineer. One of the things he invented was the vinyl blood bag that replaced breakable bottles in the Korean War and it made transfusions safe and reliable on battlefields and in hospitals and, of course, natural disasters and others. Not only that, though, Dr. Murphy, who, by the way, was the son of a Nobel Prize winning Boston physician, was also widely credited with early advances in the development of pacemakers to stabilize erratic heart rhythms of artificial kidneys to cleanse the blood of impurities and of many sterile devices, including trays, scalpel blades, syringes, catheters, and other surgical and patient care items that are now disposable. So I just thought that that was uh, pretty awesome, and he definitely deserves some notice for that, and he probably saved fucking countless lives. So rest in peace. Okay. Let's go. Where do I want to? I, what do I want to do? Well, let's do something a little bit more fun. Did you see this guy? He murdered. Uh, he murdered somebody when he was getting blown. Yup, Demarion Kalon Bible. It's his last name. Bible. Twenty-five years old was charged with second-degree murder following the November 29th shooting in Minneapolis. In a phone call from jail, he did admit to the killing. And the victim was 38-year-old Savannah Ryan Williams. I'm looking at a picture of Savannah, and there's no way that this person should be mistaken for a woman. But when he was being interviewed by police, Bible said he walked by Williams, and asked, she asked if he wanted to have sex. <laughs> okay. When he said yes, they walked to a courtyard and engaged in sexual activity. Bible says he was receiving oral from Williams, but she was making him, quote, feel suspicious, end quote. So, apparently, as the cops write, quote, after the sexual act was completed, mm, finished, Williams continued to make him suspicious, so he shot her from point blank. Her body was discovered at 9 a.m. And, uh, yeah, he said he had to do it. And uh, this is obviously a transgender woman, if you guys weren't picking up on that. But he faces up to 40 years in prison. And uh, Bible told the cops, he basically came right out and said it. And he said he felt sorry for killing Williams and he knew he wasn't God, but he had to do it. Weird thing to say there. So, yeah, obviously he, f he was duped and then he found out. And uh, it sounds like he just was like, no friggin' way. Yeah, don't uh, transgender listeners or any other people, you probably shouldn't ask transgender men if they want to bang. Uh, I'm sorry, any men if you want to bang, like in, especially in a courtyard, like right in the street, come on. Now let's go to the fun story of the week, guys. Hunter Biden, oh my goodness, Hunter, how can you dislike this man? I ask you once again. A federal grand jury charged Hunter Biden on Thursday with a scheme to evade federal taxes on millions in income from foreign businesses. Yep, he faces three counts each of evasion of a tax assessment, failure to file and pay taxes, <clears throat> excuse me, and filing a false or fraudulent tax return. It's a 56-page indictment. You can go read the whole thing. It's hilarious. Now, this is the funny part, because this comes five months after he appeared to be on the verge of that plea deal 
that would have avoided jail time, and that would have also, Keeley, prevented any future prosecution stemming from his business dealings. He would have gotten immunity from that. But then, remember, the agreement collapsed? These have uh, charges have been filed by the special counsel, David Weiss, and um, Mr. Biden, they said, engaged in a four-year scheme to not pay at least $1.4 million in self-assessed federal taxes he owed for tax years 2016 through 2019. And between 2016 and October of 2020, the defendant spent this money on drugs, escorts and girlfriends, luxury hotels and rental properties, <laughs> exotic cars, clothing, and other items of a personal nature. Yeah, dude. This guy... You know how much he spent on this, and a lot of it. He remember he was not paying. He was not paying child support either during this whole time. But while he was not paying child support, he was uh, he definitely were was able to spend some money. He had one point six million dollars in ATM withdrawals, six hundred eighty three thousand dollars for payments to various women. 750000 for restaurants, health, and beauty products, and groceries. But yeah, he was basically getting, he was getting paid millions of dollars because he was Joe Biden's son. That's the only fucking reason. Everybody knows it. And he was spending $17,000 a month just on rent. Remember that? On that, that was that house in Venice Beach? Wow. Yeah. I mean, again, how can you hate Hunter, right? <laughs> Just going down. It's so crazy. Remember, and remember, he was spending... The, the ATM withdrawals were almost certainly from drugs. Because this is when he was, like, just sucking the glass dick, dude. He earned more than $7 million between 2016 and 2020. And... Yeah, he had a, he had a company called Awasco PC... And that's where he would launder all this money. He'd put the money into that, and then he'd take a bunch of ATM. Then he would just withdraw it all through the ATM. It's hilarious. He started working for that Ukrainian energy company, Burisma, in 2014. That's where they paid him a starting salary of $1 million. And then somebody at Burisma was like, what are we doing here? Because in March of 2017, his salary was reduced to around half a million dollars. <laughs> uh, wow. $188,960,000 on adult entertainment. They have all these laid out in the charging documents, so you guys can all go see this shit. He also uh, hired a Lamborghini. Um, he spent $1,500 in one night at one dancer at a strip club. He gave an escort who was paid two nights with him $11,500. He spent $27,000 to an online pornography website. He paid for online porn? God damn. Uh, and he did. How, how did he evade the taxes? Well, he claimed multiple personal expenses as business deduction, including all these hotels that he used to bang hookers in. So just great stuff. So I highly recommend you guys go check that out if you want to. Too funny. Jeez. And so, oh, of course, there was a $10,000 for the sex club, too. So, yeah, guys, go uh, listen to all that. So, or you can find it at the New York Times, the indictment. You can find a 100 other places, but go check it out. Okay. Uh, let's go to the big Republican debate. That's right. 
Big Republican debate happened. I know you guys are all sick of this shit right now, right? I know I am too. Um, oh, before I do that, though, I'm sorry. I, uh, I, I wanted to... I wanted to play this clip, and I meant to have it next to the Hunter Biden story. Apparently, I did not. But since I have it, here's it. He went on a uh, Hunter Biden went on a podcast. This is the podcast from the singer Moby. You guys remember Moby? Yeah, very big, like 15 years ago. Anyway, Moby now has a podcast, and he had Hunter Biden on for some reason. And he's talking shit about Elon Musk, of all things. I just wanted to play this because I rarely hear Hunter Biden's voice. So uh, let's listen about a minute of this. And then you have the people that are the most culpable of all. You have the people that literally just love to feed it because they think that it is some kind of a game. <laughs> they think that it is some... Like, the one thing about Elon Musk that I'm certain of is there's another very damaged human being. Yes. And yeah. he is... <laughs> I say that he is the dumbest, smart person I think that the world has ever... <laughs> Ever know. To what be fair, you? there are a lot of dumb, smart people. No, I know, but he you know, now represents I would say me. Murdoch is But you know what? It's like Elon Musk doesn't care about the goddamn First Amendment. He doesn't care about anybody but himself. And so all of this idea that he's a champion for the First Amendment and blah, 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 blah. Elon Musk doesn't care about democracy. Elon Musk doesn't care about our freedom to vote. He doesn't care about that. Is there any time that you've ever saw anything from him that has any rational defense of democracy, of what we've created here as Americans, as his adopted country? Thank you, Hunter. Wow. Uh, it takes a lot of fucking, again, for the second time I'll use this word, chutzpah, for Hunter Biden, of all people, to talk shit about other people. Wow. Yeah, so that's what he sounds like he's kind of brain damaged a little bit, doesn't he? I do. I think so. Uh, okay, guys, that's, that's a lot. I know there's not too many fun stories this week, but you know what? It happened again. It did happen again. And thank you to the many of you who sent this to me. What happened again? What do you think? A 16-year-old boy has died of internal injuries after a man inserted a compressed air hose into his rectum for fun at an Indian factory. Mm. Motilal Sahu, 16 years old. Had been joking with factory employee Deera Singh Goud, 21, when the worker grabbed the hose pipe of his cleaning machine and shoved it into the teenager's rectum. The sudden burst of air severely damaged his intestines, and he collapsed on the floor of the Pune Flour and Foods Processing Unit near Pune City in western India. He was rushed to a nearby private hospital where he died of internal injuries. And uh, this Goud character, supposedly some kind of distant relative, he has been arrested over the teenager's death. So, fucking, how many more times, dude? This is Now, this article, for once, is not from an Indian paper. It's from the Daily Mail. So maybe they're starting to pick up on the rash of uh, rectal air compressor deaths that I have long been covering. Let's see, maybe they listen to the podcast. Who knows? Let's go. Uh, how about... What's this one? Well, you know, this also, like, you know, Hunter Biden is not the only bad political kid. This is, here's another one. Get this. The son of a United States senator has been arrested on felony charges after he led cops in North Dakota on a car chase that ended in a crash near Hazen, North Dakota, and killed the sheriff's deputy. Ian Kramer... 
The 42-year-old son of Senator Kevin Kramer, Republican of North Dakota, has been charged with manslaughter and other felonies. The deputy killed was Deputy Paul Martin, 53 years old. He had worked at the Mercer County Sheriff's Office for 18 years. Um, the chase began about 4.30 p.m. this week on Wednesday when Chris Kramer, the senator's wife, drove their son to an emergency room because he was experiencing a mental health crisis. His father said in a statement that he suffers from serious mental disorders which manifests in severe paranoia and hallucina hallucinations. Um, he said that Chris was with Ian when he insisted on going to his brother Ike. Well, his brother Ike died in 2018. So upon arrival at the hospital, Ian Kramer jumped into the driver's seat and fled. He drove it through the doors of the hospital's ambulance bay. It was a black 2017 Chevy SUV. It was reported stolen. They found it about 70 miles away because his mom's phone had been left in the car. And they were tracking the location. Ian Kramer then led the cops in a pursuit on a highway. Went on for about five miles and Kramer crashed the SUV into an unoccupied sheriff's patrol car that was parked on the other side of the highway. Um, Martin, unfortunately, was standing outside and behind the patrol vehicle when it was struck. The impact of the crash pushed the vehicle and the deputy, killing him instantly. So they got him with the spike strips and just et cetera, et cetera. Ugh. Dude, that's rough. That sucks to have a kid like that. And, of course, for the deputy, that's horrible. Okay, let's keep going. Some more shitty stories here. Uh, this is another freak accident. A Georgia high school baseball star, 18 years old, has been declared brain dead uh, two weeks after a freak batting cage accident left him in a coma. Ugh. Yeah, dude. 18-year-old Jeremy Medina was struck in the head with a baseball bat at a school batting cage. Uh, the teen's family will honor his wishes to donate his organs. That's super sad. Yeah, apparently the accident happened when Medina leaned into the net of the batting cage right when the batter swung. Oh, so he fucking got bashed with the bat there. This actually happened um, back in like November, but he's been on a, you know, they put him in a medically induced coma, but they just like, dude, his brain is gone and uh, that will, that's it. So his family's going to donate his body to science. Really, really sad story. Just a freak accident, man. Dude, you got to be fucking just have your head on a swivel. I think you'd be leaning your head against a batting cage where people are taking rips with bats. Come on. And even more. This is a this was a nutty story here. Let's talk about an NFL team, the Jacksonville Jaguars. They had an employee that is being accused of stealing more than $22 million from the Jaguars and using it to buy a Tesla, a $100,000 watch, and charter private jets. How do you get away with this? Yeah, he was a financial manager. His name is Amit Patel. He worked for the Jaguars for five years starting in 2018. And he did this through the Jacksonville Jaguars, something called Virtual Credit Program, Credit Card Program. And it was between 2019 and 2023. So he was stealing more than $5 million a year. Um, 
Yeah, he's being charged with one count of wire fraud and one count of illegal monetary transactions. And yeah, what? How exactly to go about doing this? Um, got to go down here. Yeah. So okay, here we go. <laughs> he also used to use it to. Uh, he also used the, the the illicit gains to buy cryptocurrency and place bets with online gambling sites. It's hilarious. Yeah, he worked his way up. He first started a coordinator, then financial planning and analysis, and then manager financial planning and analysis. He oversaw the company's monthly financial statements and department budgets and served as the club's administrator of its virtual credit card program, which allowed authorized employees to, quote, request VCCs for business-related purchases or expenses, end quote. Since he ran this program, it allowed him to make all of these fraudulent transactions. He would duplicate and inflate transactions for items such as catering, airfare, and hotel charges and filed fake transactions that seemed to be legit. Fuck. He got five million. This guy's like a genius, dude. I swear. Some criminals are really smart. It's too bad they decided to go to crime, really. It really is. Oh, how much time is left? I got to be honest, guys. I'm not feeling it today. I'm like, uh, life. Life. You know what I'm saying, you guys? Life. How it sucks sometimes. Yeah, it happens. But we got to keep going and carry on. Push through adversity. That's what we have to do. All that bullshit. Um, what else do I have here for you? Oh, remember the Alaska Airlines pilot who would, wanted to crash the plane because he was on mushrooms? He's now, he is not going to face charges of attempted murder anymore. Yeah. A grand jury instead voted to indict the pilot named Joseph Emerson on a felony charge of endangering an aircraft and 83 misdemeanor counts of reckless endangerment. Remember, he was off duty during the flight. He was the guy riding in the cockpit jump seat as a courtesy. And um, yeah, he had, he had eaten all those mushrooms. And all of a sudden, he thought he was like in a dream. And he reached up in the cockpit and pulled on the plane's two fire suppression handles, which are designed to shut down both engines in an emergency. The pilots managed to pull his hands away from the handles, and then he got kicked out of the cockpit. They diverted the flight to Portland, Oregon, and he was then arrested. So, yeah, they think he's going to be released from jail. Remember, they originally charged him with 83 counts of attempted murder. Because that's how many people were on the plane. So, I don't know. I, I guess if you're on drugs, you have an excuse. Maybe because there was no malice in it. I don't friggin' know. And then another plane update story. Do you remember the YouTuber who intentionally crashed his small plane, acting like something was wrong with it, and he jumped out of the plane wearing a parachute? I was out here in California. Yeah, that would be Trevor Jacob. And he got six months in prison for destroying evidence of intentional plane craft. He really didn't face any charges for purposely crashing the plane. But yeah, he's 30 years old. He lives in Lompoc, California. He pleaded guilty to, in June, to one count of destruction and concealment with the intent to obstruct a federal investigation after he removed the wrecked plane from the crash site in December of 2021, two weeks after the crash. Oh, maybe he did get charged with destruction. Yeah, just to, if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, on November 24th, 2021, Jacob, 
He's a former snowboarding Olympian turned YouTuber. He took off in his small 1940 Taylorcraft plane on a solo flight. And he had mounted cameras on the plane and all this shit. He had a selfie stick and he had a parachute in the plane. And prosecutor said he never planned to reach his destination. What he wanted to do was eject himself from the plane during the flight and video himself parachuting the ground as it crashed. And this was this had been orchestrated to sell a wallet of all things. Yeah, like a, a wallet you carry in your your pocket that Jacob had agreed to promote in one of his videos. So while he was above the Los Padres National Forest, he jumped from the plane. And about two days later, he reported the crash to the National Transportation Safety Board, which began preserving an investigation. They told Jacob that he was responsible for preserving the wreckage. But when he when asked where the wreckage was, he says, I don't know. So then prosecutors say he hired a contractor to help him and a friend remove the plane from the forest and load it up in the trailer of Jacob's pickup truck, which he drove to a hangar. Over the following days, he basically cut up and destroyed the wrecked plane. And prosecutors also said he lied in the aircraft accident report, falsely claiming the plane lost power. And then he lied to the FAA, claiming that he needed to parachute out of the plane because there were no safe landing options. And he uploaded this 13-minute video of the crash titled, quote, I crashed my plane, end quote. Yeah, the video has been removed from YouTube, but you can probably still find it online. But even like after the crash, like right away, viewers and experts had doubt. And they, they were there was people saying this is bullshit like right away. First of all, you know, the cameras on the wings, you know, the parachute. Most people don't have that. Uh, yeah, so he's he's going to prison for six months. Very good. Okay. Oh, and uh, one more crime update. Do you remember that weirdo who tried to be a DHS officer in Washington, D.C.? Yeah, and it was a really weird story. And he was like some kind of, he had some kind of suspicious background. His name is Arian Taherzadeh. He's 41 years old. He had falsely claimed to be a special agent with the Department of Homeland Security, a former U.S. Air Marshal, a former U.S. Army Ranger, among other fake roles. He has been sentenced to 33 months in prison. Yeah, him and his co-conspirator, Haider Ali, 36, used these claims to recruit others to his law enforcement firm, which they called the United States Special Police LLC and falsely described as a private law enforcement service linked to the federal government. And he used those false claims to recruit others to join his business and to defraud the owners of the three apartment complexes in the D.C. area into providing him with multiple apartments and parking spaces because they thought they were like, you know, law enforcement. <laughs> and, and yeah. Oh, this is new. I didn't know this. <clears throat> he, he put up cameras everywhere, all these surveillance cameras, right? Well, he also put them in his bedroom, and he used those cameras to record women engaged in sexual activity. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and th this, remember this came about, does it have it in here? Yeah, th this came about because he became buddies with some Secret Service agents, and he was giving um, Secret Service employees and agents gifts. Yeah, he, oh, uh, uh, that's right, now I remember. He also provided at least two other Secret Service employees with rent-free apartments for about a year. 
One received a penthouse worth about $40,200 in rent. Nice. Yeah, and that I don't remember exactly how it came about or how he got caught, but I think they were investigating the guys not paying rent, and that's kind of how it came up. And then he claimed to be like in a cop, and he was flashing fake badges and all that other shit. So uh, that's been a while. Uh, you guys probably saw, if you follow me on Instagram at BK Actual, I told you, uh, you know, I did some dental work done lately. I needed a cleaning, and she kind of talked me into uh, getting Invisalign, which I did. I decided, what the hell? You know, it's been like a couple decades with these guys, and, you know, you know, food, eating, they're a little crooked. Not not horrible, but I was like, yeah, why not? I'll do the Invisalign. I, I don't have them in right now because I'm still talking with a little bit of a lisp when I have them in. But <clears throat> why do I bring that up? Well, their competitor, Smile Direct Club has now shut down after filing for bankruptcy. Yeah, the company, founded in 2014, sold teeth aligners online and in its shops for $1,850. It marketed them as a faster, cheaper alternative to braces. Smile Direct Club's IPO in 2019 valued it at $8.9 billion. They say it served more than 2 million customers over nearly a decade, but the company was not profitable. And it filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in September with nearly $900 million of debt. Wow. On Friday, they said on its website that they were shutting down their global operations immediately. And outstanding orders had been canceled. Yeah, this was like basically like Invisalign, which I did, but it's all like online mostly. They do not require in-person visits. See, that's what the Invisalign, I do it through my dentist. Like, she's an authorized Invisalign person, so I go up there, and she checks everything and makes sure everything's going well. Like, I have a person there. It's not just coming in the mail. And that was part of their problem. Their Smile Direct Club services did not require in-person visits, and that drew criticism from dental and orthodontic groups. And... um the company has sued some of those critics, and they also accused California's dental board of stifling competition. Oh, here's a brutal stock nosedive. After the company went public, its shares traded about $18 a piece, but later became a penny stock. Mm. Yeah, so if you guys are a Smile Direct Club uh, member, let me know if you guys had a good experience. I do know one person who had a good experience, and they were significantly cheaper than Invisalign. So there's the trade-off. Okay, let's go to the border. Yeah, more than 12,000 migrants in a 24-hour period. That breaks the all-time record. How about that on Tuesday? <laughs> it just never stops. Never stops. And those are just the ones they caught. Yeah, on Wednesday morning, this Customs and Border Patrol had more than 22,000 migrants just in their jails alone as several of the agency's sectors overflowed with people outpacing their capacities. The last year of the Biden presidency has seen the highest ever number of migrant encounters at 2.4 million. September had the highest ever monthly rate of illegal migrant encounters at 260,000. In the, in the Border Patrol's Tucson sector, they saw 17,500 illegal alien encounters in a single week. That's their highest weekly total ever recorded. And a lot of these guys are from, like, Africa. How are they? This is ridiculous. 
Unbelievable. Lukeville, Arizona is fucking going insane. It's completely nuts. And and now and then people wonder why, like, how dare these Republicans hold up Ukraine aid for the border? It's completely out of control. Of course, as I've told you many, many times, this is all part of the plan, though. You know what sickens me? If there's any Republicans, how about you? I know because they're they're really good on the fire and brimstone of the border. Why don't you point out to some of these libs, go into the cities, and it's like, you know how much fucking rent you're paying? Imagine if we deported 100,000 people out of this city who have final orders to go. That would probably open up some apartments and housing, wouldn't it? They never say it that. I can't imagine how much the rental market would decrease if they deported all the illegal aliens in California. There's got to be a million at least here right now. Uh, Yeah, so... Huge records. Uh, I've got some clips I wanted to play. First of all, let me start with uh, Fox Fox reporter Bill Malusian. He's been on the border for a long time, and you'll hear him talk to some of the migrants as I'm looking at the line. Yeah, a lot, lot from Africa. Here we go. Dana, the numbers are actually getting even worse. Multiple CBP sources telling me this morning in the last 24 hours, Border Patrol alone has made more than 10,000 apprehensions of illegal immigrants. That does not even include CBP ports of entry. And you can see the situation here in Lukeville behind us. We got well over 800 people waiting in line here after they crossed illegally overnight, waiting to be apprehended by Border Patrol. Once again, it's like deja vu from yesterday. You can see these guys are coming in from all over the world. A lot of African men, mostly single adult men here. Some of them were setting campfires overnight in the cold, camping out here, waiting to get taken into custody by Border Patrol. But CBP sources telling me in the last 24 hours in this Tucson, Arizona sector, there were almost 2,900 apprehensions, and the Border Patrol facilities out here are currently running 200% of their capacity. That is why there are so they're, they're many going down the line, the camera, not a single woman or child, all military-age men. Arizona has a Democrat governor. Her name is Katie Hobbs. She has not yet sent any state resources down here. No Arizona troopers, no Arizona National Guard. That's unlike what we've seen in the state of Texas with Governor Greg Abbott. Well, Governor Hobbs is calling for more federal action when it comes to helping in Arizona. Take a listen. We need the federal government to act and provide more resources, and we've been very clear about that. There's a lot more they could be doing, both the Biden administration, um, and again, uh, I, I know this is beating the drum that we've been beating for decades, but we need comprehensive immigration reform to really oh, thoroughly no, address this issue. No, not that. Comprehensive immigration And as reform. people continue pouring into the country, so too are narcotics. Take a look at this image out of Nogales, Arizona, oh a couple hours away from us. CBP officers at the port of entry there stopping a car and finding over one million fentanyl pills hidden in that That's smuggler's nice. vehicle. It's nice, isn't it? Unbelievable. Um, I have a few more clips about this as well. Um, Here's another one from the same guy, Bill Malusian, and he's talking to some of the guys, and none of them are claiming asylum. I mean, I'm I'm sure they will when they get their interview, but they just want to work. They're here to get a job. Listen to to you. Here in Lukeville, we are quite literally in the middle of nowhere, two and a half hours to the closest major city. Thousands are crossing here illegally every day, and the situation is completely unsustainable. We'll step out, give you a look at the scene here. This is a mass of hundreds upon hundreds of people who have crossed the border illegally and are camped out here at the border wall, waiting to be apprehended by Border Patrol. You'll quickly notice these are all single adult 
men. There is not a single woman not or one. child in this group you're looking at. And these guys are coming in from all over the world, large amounts of African men from Senegal, from Guinea, from Mauritania, from Egypt, others from the Middle East, others from Asia. And, 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 and you know what? I also have to point out, they all look really healthy and happy. They're all just chilling. They got, they got nice clothes on. It's totally insane. Uh, yeah, and all these guys are like, um, basically like I'm I'm coming here for a job. I play. Oh, here's here's one interview. I'll just play a little bit of this. But one, um, Ali Bradley, she's a journalist down there too. He's talking to a 20 year old guy from Morocco, and uh, let's hear uh, how this interview goes. He speaks English. Do you so. care? No. You don't care that we have to pay for all of this? Look, look, look. Uh, listen. Like Americans are paying for all of this. Do you guys, you know that? Like this, you know money doesn't come out of nowhere. Look, if right? I pay $7,000 for America, it's... So because you paid $7,000 and it's okay if we pay something. I don't something. care. I don't okay. care if this is for America. I don't care. So you're, you're because you paid $7,000, yeah. it's okay that Americans it's have to pay okay. some money too. Yeah, because America is uh, my dream. If oh, America okay. doesn't want me, I'm here for America. <laughs> yeah. Because I respect America, I respect American rules, everything. Okay. Yeah. But, but first, you broke the rules coming in though. Right? No, like this I, isn't this is this isn't legal. If it were, then you wouldn't be sitting out here, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, you know that. But you guys yeah, know that. Yeah. So you're saying you respect our rules, but you didn't follow the rules yeah, to no, get in. No, I look. Uh, I mean, you I know. Have, I, yeah, I know. I have no idea how to get visa to travel to America. This but was your option in your... Okay, and you know what? I mean, this goes on for, like, a long time. See, that's a lot of them think that. They're like, well, you wouldn't give me a visa. So I illegally immigrated. It's like, well, so we don't have to give you a visa. That's the thing. All these false arguments, especially from the immigration attorneys here in the United States, they're all premised on the same thing. They're all like, oh, well, you know, it's so hard for people to get a visa. No wonder they illegally immigrate. And I'm like, that's a false premise. We don't have to give anyone a visa. And then if you show up because we didn't give you a visa, we certainly don't have to let you in. We don't have to do anything. There seems to be this, like, really belief that we have to take people. We don't have to take anybody. We choose to. Uh, let's finish. Uh, well, is it finish or is there more border nonsense? Oh, uh, here's Alejandro Mayorkas, DH secretary. Here he is talking about if, hey, immigration enforcement is uh, violence. Remember I did a little cliffhanger earlier about a guy saying speech is violence? Let's listen to this. And Mr. Secretary, to the point of needing Congress to act, what Senate Republicans are pushing for really right now is very similar to H.R. 2, which passed the House to Secure the Border Act. And just to name a couple of things in it, you know, restart construction on the border wall, increase the number of border patrol agents, limit asylum, narrow the president's parole powers. Why is that unpalatable to the administration? I would say two things. One, we've presented um, uh, proposals uh, that address the situation, that provide real practical solutions, and also uh, do not do violence your fundamental values. We are <laughs> a country of refuge. We do have asylum laws. We do have mm -hmm. refugee laws. We, um, Most we abide people by are not international one of those. obligations that are longstanding. And so that is my response to that. Some of the uh, proposals are, are reasonable and worthy of discussion. Others okay. are frankly not. 
Why doesn't the reporter, of course it's stupid CNN, why doesn't the reporter just go in there and say, you realize the vast majority of these crossing illegally are not refugees and not asylum seekers, right? Mr. Secretary, by your own immigration court's ruling, they're not, you get that, right? But no, she just fucking sits there. Unreal, dude. Uh, all right, let's, is that what I have on the border? Yeah, I think that's it. Okay, good. All right, uh, let's go on. And what else do I have? I kind of want to do something fun. Do I have any? There's not a lot. Oh, this one is fun. Let's go to this one. This is a good one. Um, an Oklahoma sheriff's commander has been charged with assault. Yes. And his name is David DeWitt. He was the commander of the Potawatomi County Sheriff's Office. Well, he went to a local adult shop in Oklahoma City called Christie's Toy Box with a female companion. There he got into an argument about sex toys because uh, apparently he was there to find his female companion a sort of aid for their sexual life. And she would point out a desired object, such as a dildo, whatever. And the cop, DeWitt, he started getting angry. And he was saying, look, you don't need a fake penis. And um, I can't have you buying one that's bigger than mine. So either this guy is kind of small or she just wanted the fucking monster dong fucking veined up fist. You know, it's like two feet long. And finally, a sex shop worker, I mean, this kind of escalated, right? He's raising his voice, and it, it happened several times. And finally, like, um, the worker intervened. I'd just like to be an adult store worker. God. At midnight, of all things. This is happening at midnight, by the way. So you've got the night shift of the adult store. Can you imagine? Anyway, DeWitt starts raising his hand like he's about to backhand the woman, and the worker says, hey, man, you need to calm down, and you have to leave. And uh, DeWitt allegedly snapped back, quote, fuck you, I'm a cop, end quote. So uh, he did stay, and I guess he let them there because the couple did bring some merchandise to the counter, and the clerk asked DeWitt if he would like to buy some batteries, the adult toy. The angry cop said, quote, what the fuck do you say to me, fat boy, end quote. And the worker replied, quote, dude, get the fuck out of my face, end quote. Well, after that, he allegedly went behind the counter and punched the clerk repeatedly in the face. And so the worker started throwing sex toys at him. <laughs> so he begins to leave the premises. Uh, DeWitt then sped off in a black Bentley. Wow with a license plate that read Invicta, which means Latin for undefeatable or unconquerable. He was pulled over for speeding. He was about to be let go with a warning, of course, because he's a cop. When the state trooper pulled him over, heard uh, a radio alert about this, and he said he had to suspect the scene, and he was charged with misdemeanor simple assault. He has been suspended with pay. Yeah, good for you. Yeah, that's a that's got to be a dangerous, a, a, a fine line, going to a sex shop with your woman. On one hand, you want to spice up the marriage, I get it. On one hand, yeah. Next thing you know, she doesn't really want you. She'd rather be bored out with the fucking uh, Fisto 5000, you know? So that could be a dangerous dance that you're doing at the adult sex shop. So be wary, man. All right. 
Let's do the Trump story of the week where he says uh, this is the media was losing their minds. He made an offhand comment about being a dictator, right? And the media was like, you see, you see, this man is a menace, blah, blah, blah. He's obviously fucking kidding and using hyperbole, but this is the way media. So let me, let me play the, uh, let me play the clip. This is with Sean Hannity and, uh, and Hannity basically is like, Hey, you're not going to be a dictator. Are you? Let's listen to this. I'm going to be. I'm going to be, you know, he keeps, we love this guy. He says, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? I said, no, 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 other than day one. We're closing the border and we're drilling, drilling, drilling. After that, I'm not a dictator. So that, okay. that, that sounds to me like you're going back to the policies when you were president. <laughs> That's All right, exactly. take a break. Just getting started. Okay, so that was during the Trump town hall, right? Uh, so the thing is, you know, remember when Biden took office, he immediately, day one, he put all those executive orders out. So that's what, like, Trump was saying in his clumsy, oafish way, but the fucking media lost their shit over it. They're like, oh, I told you. This is the most dangerous time ever to be alive on the planet Earth. Ridiculous. Um, So... Yeah, that was a CNN t- or Fox News town hall with Sean Hannity. And then in other political news, uh, remember Jamal Bowman, that goofball congressman who pulled the fire alarm? Uh, he has been formally rebuked. <laughs> the House has censured him for pulling the fire alarm, which he still is not telling the truth about. And you guys all saw the video I talked about at the time. Uh, the censure motion passed 214 to 191, largely among party lines. Five members, again, voting present. Yeah, he was caught on video setting off that fake fire alarm on September um, uh, September 30th. The fire alarm, to be clear, the fire alarm was real. Uh, the pulling of it, it was it was a fake. He did not intend to raise awareness to a fire. And that was um, when the, they were trying to unveil and vote on that stopgap spending bill. And that false alarm prompted the evacuation of a building. And then he lied about it. He was like, oh, no, remember he said at first I was on accident. Yeah, he still says it was an accident, but it's ridiculous. You would not pull a fire alarm to get to a vote, which was what he was trying to say. The whole thing was stupid. All right, so there's a few more international stories. Let's go to Denmark. Boy, I hate this story so much. You You Danes ought to be ashamed of yourself. Denmark has banned the, quote, improper treating, end quote, of religious texts in public. And yes, this is all about Koran burning. Under a new law passed by a parliament, those found guilty of the crime can be fined or sentenced up to two years in prison. Justice Minister Peter Holmelgaard presented the law. He said on Instagram on Thursday, quote, Koran burnings must be stopped. We must protect the security of Denmark and the Danes, end quote. So in other words, he's so fucking such a bitch and so afraid of blowback from the Muslims that they're going to censor their own citizens. So desecration of the Quran is now banned both in the public space and it's banned in private if you record it and then put it online. Yep. There have been more than 500 demonstrations in Denmark in recent months, including some where the Quran was burned. Uh, yeah, I covered a few of those. And the Danish authorities said the burnings put the country in a difficult 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 diplomatic situation. And they called the law targeted intervention attended to protect the security of Danes abroad and at home. Of course, the measure was sharply criticized by opponents, including the right-wingers. 
Um, they said this was a product of political correctness and it's designed to restrain the freedom of speech and the artistic freedom, which of course it is. Yeah, so the uh, Hummelgard offered insurances that the new law does not forbid criticism of religion or satirical drawings. But he said that while a broad space should be allowed for religious criticism, quote, destroying books is not a very intelligent way to criticize something you don't like, end quote. Well, that's what that's it. That's your opinion. That's your opinion. Goof. And, you know, as far as Sweden, because they're undergoing this too, they have not passed a bill, I believe, to burn the Koran yet, but they're trying to, like, circumvent it, right? So what they want to do, the Swedes, they want to expand an existing public order law that would allow the police to deny a demonstration permit on the grounds that it could pose a threat to Sweden's security. God, that's even worse. Honestly, of course, it w they're going to just say that all, everything. Oh, that's a threat to Swedish security. That's a threat to Swedish security. And ban all demonstrations. They'd love that. Yeah, that's shameful, dude. And what else in international news? Um, oh, the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad got bombed. Yeah, this is the first time in a while. My old stomping grounds. It was uh, hit by 60-millimeter mortar rounds by Iran-aligned militias. And, yeah, this is weird. This Daily Mail headline, they say, they say this marks the first time it's ever been fired upon. Oh, that's not fucking true. <laughs> they were shooting at that thing all the time. What are they talking about? Yeah, they said there were no casualties or major infrastructure damage, but the attack reportedly... Uh, damaged the headquarters of an Iraqi security agency. Yeah, the Daily Mail writes this sentence, quote, the incident marked the first time the U.S. Embassy has ever been fired on. Uh, that is not, <laughs> that is not correct at all. Wow. I wonder who wrote that. But yeah, probably the duck and cover, the big duck and cover siren. You guys all know that. Take cover, take cover, blah, blah. Good old days. Yeah. Let's keep going to... What country is this? Nicaragua. This is a weird headline. Ready for this headline? Miss Universe director is charged with treason for plotting to overthrow Nicaragua's government by turning her beauty contests into political traps financed by foreign agents. Pageant director Karen Celeberti and her husband and son were charged with conspiracy against the government. Yeah, dude. This happened when Nicaragua's 23-year-old um, Shanice Palacios won the Miss Universe competition. She became the... And she was from Nicaragua. She becomes the first Central American woman to wear the Miss Universe crown. And the government of President uh, Daniel Ortega's Nicaragua thought, hey, this is great. This is good for our country, right? Well, but then it emerged that Palacio, Palacios had posted photos of herself on Facebook participating in one of the mass anti-government protests in 2018. Those protests were violently repressed, and human rights officials say 355 people were killed by government forces. And um, apparently... A, the cops are claiming now that Celebrity participated actively on the internet and in the streets in the terrorist actions of a failed coup. 
Okay. And now her her husband and son face charges of quote treason to the motherland, end quote. Weird. That's funny. This this article goes on and on about how she used all these contests to rig the uh you know the, the political agents and all that stuff. I just don't have time to get into it because what I'd rather do is go to the big Republican debate. Yes, there was another one. Hallelujah. Yeah, it was uh, Chris Christie, Nikki Haley, uh, Ron DeSantis, and Vivek Ramaswamy. And, of course, the only one uh, really uh, who's entertaining is, is Ramaswamy. Uh, DeSantis is there. Of course, DeSantis has great ideas, but, and he does stuff. Unlike Trump, he's just not very compelling to watch. So uh, Nikki Haley knew that she would be targeted, especially after that photo leaked before the debate of uh, Ramaswamy. who's had that... He had that handwritten note that said Haley equals traitor or something like that. What was it? Is there a picture? I can't remember what it said. Oh, corrupt. Corrupt. He said that. Not a traitor. Anyway, I've got some clips. Let's go to the first one. This was going around. And um, Nikki Haley actually got this right much to... A lot of people thought she got this wrong at first. Basically, Vivek Ramaswamy asked Nikki Haley to name three regions of eastern Ukraine that she wants to send American troops into. So let's listen to how this goes. So foreign policy experience is not the same as foreign policy wisdom. I want everybody at home to know that I was the first person to say we need a reasonable peace deal in Ukraine. Now a lot of the neocons are quietly coming along to that position with the exceptions of Nikki Haley and Joe Biden who still support this, what I believe is pointless war in Ukraine. And I think those with foreign policy experience, one thing that Joe Biden and Nikki Haley have in common is that neither of them could even state for you three provinces in eastern Ukraine that they want to send our troops to actually fight for. Look at that. This is what I want people to understand. These people have, I mean, she has no idea what the hell the names of those provinces are, but she wants to send our sons and daughters and our troops and our military equipment to go fight it. So reject this myth that they've been selling you, that somebody had a cup of coffee stint at the UN and then makes eight million bucks after, has real foreign policy experience. It takes an outsider to see this through. Look at the blank expression. She doesn't know the names of the provinces <laughs> that she wants to Okay, so um, basically, though, it's it's the clip cuts off there, and they actually went back to her and asked her, and she did correctly name two provinces because there are only two provinces in eastern Ukraine, and that would be you guys have probably heard me talk about both of these: the Donetsk region and the Luhansk region. She did name both of those. She also added Crimea, which is one of the provinces illegally occupied by Russia. So she actually did answer the question correctly. Because at first, everybody, the clip just ended there, and everybody thought, like, oh, what a dummy. But she, she did. Um, and uh, here's more Vivek uh, talking shit to uh, Chris Christie. This is good, too. Listen to this. I think we just learned something from Chris Christie. We learned three things. We learned three things right there. First of all, Chris Christie also doesn't know what provinces in eastern Ukraine he actually wants us to fight for. Chris, your version of foreign policy experience was closing a bridge from New Jersey to New York. Yeah. So do everybody a favor. Just walk yourself off that stage, enjoy a nice meal, yeah. and get the hell out of this yeah, race. That, when it comes to Nikki, I think if you're going to actually send your sons and daughters while, to go die in somebody else's voting, war, while you, you better, excuse voting. me, Chris, I'm speaking, and I'm not done yet. I you had your chance, time when you and we're going to be done. So listen up to this. Is If these people want to send your sons and daughters to go die in Ukraine, they've been arguing for it for a year. 
$200 billion of our taxpayer money sent over, neither of them could even name for you the provinces. Okay, again, again. I just thought that was a funny part when you told Chris Christie to go have a nice meal. Kind of a veiled uh, jab at his weight. And then Nikki Haley made this bizarre statistical claim. Let me play it first. We really do need to ban TikTok once and for all. And let me tell you why. For every 30 minutes that someone watches TikTok every day, they become 17% more anti-Semitic, more pro-Hamas based on doing that. We now know that 50% of adults 18 to 25 think that Hamas was warranted in what they did. Okay, so is the first part. So 30 minutes, every 30 minutes that you watch TikTok, you become 17% more anti-Semitic. <laughs> you, you just totally made that up, dude. That's not a thing that exists, a study, or even there's impossible to prove either. Ay, ay, ay. And then uh, apparently Chris Christie and Ron DeSantis uh, go at it with each other about Trump, of all things. I will go in and wreak havoc on this bureaucracy. You will see people fired, and we are going to bring a reckoning for how this government here's, handled listen, here's COVID-19. What, here's, 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 here's what Chris, you had your chance to run on Donald yeah, Trump. You were doing it all this whole race. Why isn't he just answering the question? The question was very direct. Is he fit to be president or isn't he? Talking about Trump. The rest of the speech is interesting, but completely non-responsive. And if we were in a courtroom, they'd strike the answer and say, Governor DeSantis. No, they would. They would say that. You're a smart man. No, they would. No, they wouldn't. They would strike the answer because you're not answering it. Is he fit? You have your thing. Is he fit or isn't he? No, I don't have my thing. He's the thing. Is he fit or isn't he? You're talking about him being 80 years old. It doesn't mean that somebody is fit. All right. I don't know why Ron DeSantis holds back on Trump, dude. You're already down, bro. You're down by like 40 points. All of you are. You might as well do what Vivek is doing and just start shouting everything possible. What is Ron DeSantis waiting for? Like, be like Trump is a fucking maniac, dude. And he won't do anything. All he does is fuck with the media, and they love it because it gives them uh, subscriptions and ratings. It's ridiculous. But he won't do it. I don't get it, man. I just don't get it. Yeah, and speaking of, did you see the Washington Post? They they went on strike for like a day. <laughs> the, the, the journalists. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Yeah, they're losing like millions of dollars every year. Uh, Jeff Bezos, by the way, he bought the Washington Post for $250 million in 2013. And yeah, they're fucking losing huge numbers. The, the Washington Post is on pace to lose $100 million in 2023. And here's what I got a kick out of. What did I just say? The media loves Trump. They desperately want him to run for president because it's good for business. How can I prove that? Listen to this sentence at the New York Times about this story about the strike in the Washington Post. Here's the New York Times writes. The Post has struggled to increase the number of its paying customers since the 2020 election when its digital subscriptions peaked at 3 million. It now has about 2.5 million. Okay? So, in other words, they lost like 15 to 20% of their subscriptions after the Orange Man was defeated. Because nobody cared anymore. They're like, okay, that's done. So they all, they desperately want Trump to run again. 
Uh, so we'll watch. And the, uh, the, the post reporters putting out all these fucking videos of themselves saying, I'm, I'm an indispensable gender and diversity fucking reporter. You know, I need to be paid as such. The replies were uh, pretty funny. Okay, how much time? Coming down to it, guys. We got to go quickly. Some uh, headlines here. Uh, there, you know that climate summit is going on in Dubai, and they're protesting over there. Yeah, there, there are some protesters in Dubai. Pretty, pretty funny. This is known as the uh, COP28 uh, summit. This is the United Nations Summit on Climate Change, which is fucking hilarious because they're all in Dubai for this, and you know about Dubai and the UAE. They're all about oil, but they are having protests, and they're being allowed to protest so far. The European Union has agreed to landmark artificial intelligence rules. This agreement over the AI Act solidifies one of the world's first comprehensive attempts to limit the use of artificial intelligence. Um, This is a sweeping new law, and the law is called the AI Act. And it sets a new global benchmark for countries seeking to harness the potential benefits of the technology while trying to protect against its possible risks like automating jobs, spreading misinformation online, and endangering national security. It still needs to be kind of set in stone, but the key parameters have kind of been set. A United States federal marshal was arrested after his behavior on a flight from New York to London. (laughs) Apparently this guy was hammered drunk. 39 years old. They do not give his name. But the police in London said they received reports about 6.30 a.m. local time from the staff on an inbound Delta flight that a passenger was disrupted and had sexually assaulted other passengers and crew. Hmm. He was one of two marshals on the flight traveling to London. The second marshal was briefly detained but has since returned to the United States. This is not the air marshals. These are the U.S. marshals, the guys who apprehend the fugitives and all that shit. That's funny. I saw how they were. He was already in court and he denied everything, but apparently he was like maybe groping people, something like that. Uh huh. And uh, let's do a few other international stories. Uh, Peru has a top court that has ordered their former president to be freed from prison. Yes, the former president is in prison. That would be Fujimori, uh, Alberto Fujimori is his name. And he had a, he was sentenced for his human rights violations. Fujimori was serving a 25-year sentence for human rights violations, but the, the court, known as Peru's Constitutional Tribunal, voted 3-1 to reaffirm their decision to instate a presidential pardon granted to Fujimori in 2017, and he will most likely be released from prison uh, next week. Nigeria's president has called for an inquiry after a military strike killed at least 85 civilians. Many of the civilians were women and children gathered for a religious celebration. President Bola Ahmed Tinubu described the attack as a, quote, bombing mishap, end quote. This was a drone strike. Hmm. And Nigeria's military has admitted that they are responsible for this. Because, uh, as you guys know, Nigeria has been fighting all those extremist groups and armed gangs. Their military does do a lot of these airstrikes, but accidental bombings are pretty common over there. Amnesty International, by the way, said the death toll is closer to 120 people. Yikes. A lot of you guys sent me the story, I don't have time to get into it, unfortunately, about the ex-U.S. ambassador 
accused of being a Cuban agent. <laughs> Jeez, this is not, not great. Yeah, he's a retired U.S. diplomat. This is Manuel Rocha. And federal prosecutors said this week that this senior, that this retired State Department official worked for decades as a secret agent for Cuba and was heard referring to the United States as, quote, the enemy, end quote. Wow. In a criminal complaint, the prosecutor said that he had secretly aided Cuba's clandestine intelligence gathering mission against the United States since at least 1981, met with handlers from Cuba's spy agency as recently as 2017, and boasted how he spent 40 years of spying on behalf of the communist government. Wow. He's 73 now. Jesus. Uh, I don't even know what to say. Well, Spotify is going to cut 1,500 jobs. Guys, this in the Washington Post, this is why you got to go to Patreon <laughs> right here. But yeah, the Spotify is uh, cutting nearly a fifth of its workforce. It's third round of layoffs so far this year. They can't become consistently profitable. I mean, they gave Joe Rogan a shitload of money. The White House has delayed a decision on banning menthol cigarettes. Yep, this all has to do with the African-American activists. They do love their menthols in that community. And the proposal has generated concerns that black smokers will become the targets of aggressive police habit tactics. And th this is also just let people smoke what they want, dude. It's going to fucking be a black market anyway. So stupid. California is projecting a $68 billion shortfall in its budget as revenue plunges. Uh-oh. This is fueled by a slowdown of income tax revenue. Uh-oh. Wonder why. Maybe because everybody with money is fucking leaving the state? Probably. Oh, one of you guys sent me this, too. This is a great story. Let's go to Florida. A homeless man is accused of molesting a nine-year-old girl inside her home. And the funny part is that the girl's family let 31-year-old Trevor Johnson move into their home because he was reportedly staying across the street with a friend but had to move out and had nowhere to go. So they took in this bum, and he thanks them from fuck, by molesting their daughter. Wow. The girl's father stays in his room because he's immobile. Um, he's got diabetes. He apparently didn't know any of this. But the girl told her grandmother what happened. This must have been way beyond touching inappropriately because he's being held on $1 million bond. And it's a capital charge. If he's convicted, he could be sentenced to death or life in prison. They, all they say, it's it, they, they describe it as capital sexual battery and lewd or lascivious, lascivious sorry, molestation. And all that says is uh, Johnson touched the girl inappropriately. It had to be fucking way beyond that. I'm just guessing. And finally, you guys, um, I have to go to the big finish. Here we go. Let's stay in Florida and go to Florida, man. Yes, let's talk about 33-year-old Jeremy Mark Lavera. Uh, Jeremy Mark Lavera has been arrested. He met with an undercover agent at the parking lot, at the public park, I'm sorry, in order to set up a threesome with his dog and what he thought was a woman. He wanted to arrange group sexual intercourse. Yes, that's right. You're hearing me correctly. 
people were uh, police were monitoring a social public media chat room known as um, social media public chat room uh, known as Tampa K9 Not earlier this year. And the undercover officer was contacted by someone using the handle Loverboy. In a subsequent private message, the chat room user sent six bestiality videos to the undercover agent. And the suspect then added the undercover agent to a private group chat on the same social media platform. Does not say which one. And he proceeded to send multiple bestiality videos in a group chat with other members. And... Lavera got to the point where he had sought to return. He wanted to meet up with this chick and go back to his nearby St. Petersburg home and engage in group sex with the undercover and his German short-haired pointer dog named Remy. He was arrested instead on 15 counts of sexual activity involving animals. And here's the best part. By the way, they seized his phone, of course, and... In some of the clips, Lavera's dog is seen engaged in sex with Lavera and unidentified women, plural. So he got multiple women to agree to this. And here's the kicker. According to his LinkedIn page, he worked as a security officer with the Tampa-based Hillsborough County Public Schools System. He is a security officer's license that expires in March of 2025. So he's essentially a school resource officer. And when he's not doing that, he's fucking banging his dog. Holy shit, dude. There you go, guys. That's that's it. That's the big finish. Oh, that's two and a half hours. No breaks, no editing, guys. Can you believe it? Uh, I hope you guys all enjoyed that. And if you did, I'd appreciate it. Like I said, if you went to patreon.com, typed in BK Actual. And did a little bit to support the podcast. This is how I keep it ad-free and giving it to you guys uh, almost every week. And, of course, follow me on social media on Twitter for breaking news. At Bravo Kilo Actual. Instagram at BK Actual. Guys, that's all I got for you. I'll see you next week. Eat me out. Bitch, I'm from the West Coast. They want to go down south. All these lame-ass niggas trying to fuck for clout. Hm. I won't let him hit, but he can put it in his mouth. Little waist, fat ass bitch, tap in.